being a short brunette with a bad attitude. I'm lactose intolerant. <laughs> what, you want our horses to get out of shape? Welcome to Up Yours Downstairs, the podcast that's not from Scotland, at least not any part of it that I know. <laughs> I'm Kelly Anakin. And I'm Tom Schneider. We are properly married. Though, I do have a date with a hot glass of milk. That's disgusting. Yeah, <laughs> Have you tried it? I'm lactose intolerant. <laughs> Especially when it comes to sexy times. You're just prejudiced. <laughs> anyway, we are doing something a little bit different today. That's right. We are going to dispense with the telegrams from our cousins and other such excitement. We're also not planning to do a proper Tom Repeats History or Fashion Backwards today, as we're doing our first full-length feature podcast. Yeah, so everything's up in the air. We don't yeah. know what's going to happen, We people. really, right now at this moment, we have no clue <laughs> right. where this will lead us. But along for the journey is a repeat guest. He has been here before. You know him. You love him. Please give a warm up yours downstairs. Welcome to Mr. Sam Roth. Well, hello, Kelly. Hello, Tom. <laughs> hello, Sam. Thank you for leading me blindly into the world of Gosford Park. You're welcome. You're yes. welcome. We did blindfold him, to be fair. We didn't want him... Uh, In a have, good way. We didn't want him to have too much of an advantage over us. <laughs> I was actually the tall glass of milk. <laughs> <laughs> it was his first role. And last. Trying to make it. <laughs> well, hey, uh, you had Ryan Phillippe holding you in the palm of his hand, which mm-hmm. yeah. is an enviable position. Mm-hmm. In Hollywood, would you're that. known for your discretion. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So, Gosford Park, everybody. That's right. We watched it. Just now. Just now. Literally moments ago. <laughs> Same shit, different manner. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> so, I think we're just going to have more of a freeform discussion as a bit of an overview, we're assuming you've watched it. We're not really sure why you would listen to this if you haven't. We feel bad if you haven't. Yeah, because it's yeah, really good. It is good. It's uh, streaming on Netflix. It's a jolly good time. Mm-hmm. It's ripping, uh, ripping. I would a say, ripping good time. <laughs> yeah, ripping good time. I think I think that's fair to say. And not it's, uh, ripping, ripping. Uh, right. And it is a Robert Altman film, mm-hmm. which is a very enjoyable experience. Uh, yeah, it's, you... it's very different. It um, is. Well, we were looking into the, the history of the film a bit, and actually Bob Balaban, who plays Mr. Weissman, the Hollywood producer in this movie, mm-hmm. is one of the producers of the film in reality. And he had wanted to collaborate with Robert Altman on something that was a whodunit. And he somehow found out about Julian Fellows, who was kind of trying to be an actor at the time. Right. And he basically asked Julian Fellows to write the script, and so Julian Fellows did, and uh, that is how you make a Gosford Park. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting because Altman has always had a lot of improvisation in his movies. Yes. And Bob Balaban is probably most well-known for his various Christopher Guest roles, which Uh are, of course, also largely improvised. Yes. But... Yeah, and I can only assume Julian Fellows is not known right. for his love of improvisation based on what we've seen yes. in Downton Abbey. Things I'm, seem very regimented. I'm quite confident about that, yeah. So, yeah, so that's definitely, and I mean, it's just very much looser. Mm-hmm. No, and actually, it was just a really nice change of pace after spending so much time with Downton Abbey. Right. This, I mean, the, the setting is different. It's set in 1932, which is a good 12 years after where we left off with Downton Abbey. Right, right. But just everything looks more lived in. I mean, the budget, I think, was clearly... You know, they had more money in general. Right. And they had to spread it out over much less 
production. Mm-hmm. You know, they only needed to wind up with a two and a half hour feature versus, you know, uh, what, 17 hours of programming. Something like that, yeah. But just, you know, the house that they filmed in and just like the lenses seemed gritty. You know, it wasn't a gritty film. You know, right, right, it wasn't right. like coming this fall, Gosford <laughs> Park. Well, and one thing, and this is just a very classic Altman thing, but as, as we discussed in, with the camera always moving, mm-hmm. and it's very interesting because it's not like handheld, like a, you know, like Friday Night Lights, if you've seen that or something where else where it's yeah, kind of like shaky. Yeah, it's not shaky style. Can, yeah. yeah, but it's always moving it's very, like, very smoothly. Well, and it gives the camera a point of view. I mean, mm-hmm. it means that the camera and or the viewer is supposed to be there somehow. Right. Uh it, it was a great choice. I, I thought it was really well executed for this film. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We see it. I, I was very struck by it in an early scene where Isabel, the daughter of the house, is having a whispered secret conversation with, uh, what was his Mr. name? Mr. Nesbitt. With Mr. Nesbitt, who, with whom they've been having a scandalous affair, mm-hmm. we learn over the course of the movie. But it's it's sort of under a staircase and the whole much of it is shot from like through a railing and some plants mm-hmm. so like the camera is hidden from them as yes. though you would have been eavesdropping well, and, and, and seeing it from but that they're also hidden right. it's, it's a terrible angle to see what they're actually doing but if you were spying on them mm-hmm. that's what you would see yeah and the footman George sees them so you know whether it's intended to sort of be his POV or something else but it's just it's fascinating I feel right. like the moving camera is a much better take on that British subtlety when you try to when you try to hold a camera too long and just a quick witty moment it almost takes the quick wit out well, of it well it feels airless mm-hmm. to have these sort of like long stagnant shots and this right. just it felt very alive it felt very very vibrant right well I think you know actually because what I think part of it is I think that that it the Downton Abbey is a lot more heightened in terms of its emotions and yeah, what's going on absolutely. and more kind of stylized a bit. Gosford Park was more of a sex party. Yeah, it really was. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, because I mean, if you think about Downton Abbey, I mean, it's very much in the tradition of a British melodrama. And, you know, it has very British production values. Mm-hmm. We were talking earlier about the just and I was talking about it on here earlier. Just the the filters that they use somehow everything looks very clean, mm-hmm. and nothing in in Downton Abbey looks as if it's ever been used. You know, it's all like museum quality stuff. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, some of it is. I know that a lot of the costumes and and the furnishings they use are period appropriate. Yeah. Um, and was it filmed? I know that this was. I mean, you know, we just commented in the credits as we watched it, but mm-hmm. you know, we just noticed that this was filmed at, I believe, Scion House at an actual Duke's home in mm-hmm. Gosford Park. Did they use a real, a real royal palace manor? Yeah, it's uh, it's for... called Highclere Castle. Okay, uh, that they use for Downton and the in, and the inside wasn't a set. The inside, was yeah, the actually inside filmed. is real. They don't okay. shoot. They, you know, everything they shoot is on location there. Mm-hmm. They don't use the entirety of the interior, but they, they shoot there. Maggie Smith wouldn't have had it any other way. <laughs> <laughs> I think Julian Fellows would have had yeah. it any other way. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, but it, it, you just don't see that often in, in British filmmaking or specifically on British television. There's always yeah. sort of this remove mm-hmm. from the camera somehow. It's always very artificial looking to me for some reason. Well, I think, I think that. I may, and maybe I'm wrong. I feel like British television kept its sort of like theater heritage a yeah. little bit longer than American. Yeah, that's did. true. Like a kind of a stock view of yeah. of the play. Just. A lot of like three quarter view. Mm-hmm. You know, nothing too tight and close up or anything. But right, right. It was just great to see this sort of American cinematic sensibility married to the subject matter because it felt like a fresh take on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah. Because they even say multiple times in the movie, I mean, it's a murder mystery. And oh, like, how many times does this happen? This comes up all the time. Right. But it doesn't feel like that. Mm-hmm. And you get, you get, you know, you get all up in the loins of, of Gosford Park. You get all up <laughs> in, you, <laughs> you get to really know the uh, inner workings. It's a, it's a stuffed well, loin. There were a lot of people there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's much more explicit in terms of sex and in terms of people swear, which, I, I mean, they can't on uh-huh. Downton Abbey, but, you know, people do in this Oh, they movie. say bastard. <laughs> I like to think that in that 12 years time disconnect, they've made some progress with being a little bit more open about their yeah, ways. I, it's, it's interesting because right. they're both written by Julian Fellows. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, one of the cousins had suggested that we watch the special features um, because on this movie, he talks about his mother's life in service. Mm-hmm. Which unfortunately, we were streaming it on Netflix, so we didn't have a chance to check that out. Right, right. Uh, but this seems much more so reflective of his mother's experience in service mm. than Downton Abbey. I mean, the, yeah. the timing would make much more sense, obviously. Right, right. But, you know, this seems to be much more on the side of the downstairs people than the upstairs. So I'll give, I'll give him a little bit more fair and balanced points. Because yeah. I always kind of had assumed that he was very much like giving the peerage sort of the kid glove treatment. Right. Mm-hmm. And they don't come off particularly badly here. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, he was, you know, it, it seems like he was much more sympathetic to the downstairs people. Well, what I think the, an, a difference here is that it is those 12 years and it's that sort of the fall of the aristocracy has basically kind of already happened. Mm-hmm. Like, not that it doesn't continue over the next decades, but at this point, everybody already, like, they all get it that the old way's over. I, Nobody still I feels... loved the scene where they were at dinner and they were discussing whether or not the empire was over. Mm. You know? Yeah. I, I love that scene because that's what we're building up to mm-hmm. in Downton Abbey. And, you know, they, they say explicitly, oh, you know, the, the empire ended with, with the Great War. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, that's generally kind of accepted. Right. Um, you know, the cracks had started to show before that, but, I mean, that was sort of the big breaking point. Right. And then, obviously, well, it totally dissolved shortly after World War II, and then they lost India. But So right. they don't have that, that, you know, horrible desperation of holding on to their money and nobility that, in Gosford Park. They're sort of a little bit more jaded. <laughs> Yeah, they're yeah. they're jaded. I mean, they're talking about a lot of the same things. There's no entailment because, I mean, essentially, this is what would have happened if if Lady Mary had married Sir Richard Carlyle. Yeah, mm-hmm. this is yeah. basically yeah the end game of well, that relationship. That, yeah, yeah. Okay. which is another thing I was thinking about as it went along was that it it one of the things it shows you is how in this circle you're stuck with whoever you're stuck with. And not just in terms of your spouse, but just whatever circle you're in. Uh-huh. There can be people you hate in it. Or if you're working in a house, mm-hmm. you're you're stuck with them as, for all you know forever, mm-hmm. even if you hate them. Yeah. Well, and I mean, it's, it's clearly a time of great economic downturn. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's after the stock market crash. And One of the first lines of the movies from the nobility is, I believe... I, I don't remember his name. He was short. <laughs> and uh, he said, Meredith, I think. Mm-hmm. Commander Meredith. He was the short one. background chatter, and you just hear the tail end of a conversation in which he says, at, at a party, I'm desperate. <laughs> I'm <Yeah>. desperate. <laughs> yeah. No, and, and 
I, I do love and that's something that Altman used a lot in this movie and we had the subtitles on for most of it which right. was a great choice yeah because it's lots all of background of, there's chattering all, yeah there's all these overlapping conversations that matter right to the movement of the plot and the characterizations and it was it was great I mean it felt like being there yeah you know it's yeah. not just oh I'm off spending time in the corner with Mary and Matthew in the drawing room you just get this sense of the fluidity and the movement you know, that you would sort of naturally have, like, oh, here are the mm-hmm. people playing bridge, here are the people listening to Igor Novello playing the piano. Right. And it's just, you know, it's it's a very easy movie. Yeah. Like, there are a lot of people, and they are kind of tough to tell apart, but right. it almost doesn't feel, like, it's like, you feel like the movie knows who they are. Right? Yeah. So it's going to be fine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, and, well, I think, I was going to say, should we, at this point, kind of try and give an overview? Yeah, let's go ahead and try and explain the plot. Hundreds of characters. Let's, let's make it a group effort here. Okay, right. I'll try to be as linear as possible, yeah, but, yeah. you know, not making any I don't, promises. It's not a very linear movie. I mean, <laughs> no. the, the events are linear, but nothing else well, about even it is the linear. the murder mystery that I'm, uh, we mentioned that I know that we'll get to uh-huh. doesn't present itself right away, and they allude to it. Well, in a, and, you and know, a funny yeah. story about that is, I saw this when it came out in theaters in 2001, and I was so infuriated when I first saw it. Mm-hmm. I felt that the marketing campaign had completely bamboozled me, which it did. If you mm-hmm. watch if you watch the, the trailers for this movie, it's presented as a straightforward whodunit. Right. And you know, and I didn't know anything about Robert Altman at that point in my life. So I'm I was just super angry. Yeah. Well, and then I do kind of remember like because there's there's several lines from the Stephen Fry and his constable used in the marketing when in fact they're just a big joke precisely that was what i was so angry about was that i had been told like stephen fry was big in it and there was this whole investigation and that's maybe 15 minutes of the movie right it's so unimportant yeah but it wasn't until later i was in a production of the importance of being earnest and one of my roommates was playing lane who is the butler in that and so he was renting all of these movies to kind of see you know what butlers did and I rewatched it with him, and I was like, "Oh, I was like, well, this makes perfect sense." That's if you're, that's, that's if amazing. You're, if you're approaching it as you know a, a character study and a portrait mm-hmm. of a time in British history, right. then it's fantastic. And that's amazing because that's what Ryan Philippe's character was doing in the movie. No, that's yeah. true. Uh, my roommate actually was Ryan Philippe. <laughs> we still have his number, right? Cousin Ryan, paging cousin Ryan. Please come back to us. So the plot. Right. The plot. Okay. Oh, so, my God. Let's well, start at the very beginning. Yeah, we're each, <laughs> our, our, our basically, you know, sort of protagonist is Kelly McDonald, who's my protagonist in life. She really is. Go see <laughs> is she Graves your Mary, Tom? From- I, know, I know you love Mary, but is she your Mary in this movie? In this movie, she... Oh, is she? Not Emily Watson? <sighs> well, that's a tough call. I'm Because okay. I'm, Emily Watson, I've been a huge fan of ever since I knew she existed. Mm-hmm. Like, OMG. I love her. I, I love Kelly McDonald because Kelly McDonald has gotten to make out with most of the people I want to make out with. Mm-hmm. Specifically, Clive Owen and Ewan McGregor. That's, uh, that's not bad. No, and I mean, if you've not seen Train Spotting, oh, God, what have you been doing for the past <laughs> two decades? Go see Train Spotting and then come back and be like, too young for what? <laughs> uh, but uh, don't do drugs. Don't do drugs. Yeah. Please don't do drugs. So, yes, she is the maid to Maggie Smith. Mm-hmm. So, we got our Maggie Which Smith. Which you find out right away because they need to pull over because Maggie Smith has to open her thermos. Mm-hmm. And this is the opening scene where we need to pull over the carriage in the rain and get out to open Maggie Smith's thermos. Oh, my God. Okay, I guess maybe we should just kind of 
should we just check things as we go? Because I want to talk about how much I love Kelly McDonald's face. Okay. In those opening scenes. Let's talk yeah. about her face. Let's talk about that face. Let's talk about that face. <laughs> she is standing in the pouring down rain and she's soaking wet. Mm-hmm. And, and, and she's just, you know, God, I would be miserable. I hate being wet. I mm-hmm. hate the rain. Yeah. And she is just beaming. Yeah. Because this is a relatively new job for her. Mm-hmm. And she gets to go to this phenomenal, fantastic estate party. She knows Igor Norvello is going to be there. And yeah. like, I mean, this is a big deal. And I just love the contrast between the miserable weather and how excited she is to go. Yeah. And Maggie Smith, who is having somebody open her thermos, She's is just feeling it. wretched about the entire thing. She doesn't even care. Yeah. She's seen it all. She doesn't want to be going. She just yeah. has to. Well, and she's the natural endpoint then of Aunt Rosamond. Yeah. Because... That's her role in this because she's an old spinster. Right, mm-hmm. right. I, well, not, she's a widow. She's mm-hmm. an old widow. But yeah. she's the aunt of, you know, the the four sisters. And right. unlike her character in Downton Abbey, she seems to have moved on from all of the, the processes of yeah, nobility. Yeah, she doesn't really seem to care. Whereas yeah. Rosa, Rosamond sort of lived in the city, sort of away from the yeah, country she, house, she manor, environment. In, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. she's and And she would be... Almost of an age with, with Rosamond at this point. I think Rosamond would be a little bit younger. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, yeah. But yeah, 12 years but down I the line. Think they aged her down for this movie. I oh, absolutely. Yeah. Maggie They Smith. aged her down. She was playing. And they removed her signature purple beaded hat. Was, <laughs> well, well, I guess this, this was made before Downton Abbey. Right. Beaded hat. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But for me, it's hard to see her in a Christopher Lloyd house, shows know. up and goes, Maggie, <laughs> we have to go back. Back. To the future! <laughs> for the purple beaded hat. Yes. <laughs> right. Only for that. Not to hunt down Osama bin Laden or anything. Just <laughs> It's the butterfly effect. <laughs> <laughs> hey, don't you bring Ashton into this. <laughs> Hasn't he done enough? Sorry. Team Mrs. Kutcher. <laughs> <laughs> Go, Demi! Yeah. Stop doing whippets. <laughs> um... But anyway, yes, and, and Kelly McDonald's day gets better because who should pull up next to them but Ivor Novello himself, who, <laughs> who I like, cause, uh, and he's with Bob Balaban. Bob Balaban is my protagonist in this movie. He is I, fantastic. I am team Balaban. Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> now, why is that? Can I, or should we get there? <laughs> I, I love him. He, as Tom said, he's, he was in all of the Christopher Guest movies and just... Almost every single movie I've ever seen, he's so idiosyncratic as an actor. He's so bizarre. There's no reason he should be as prominent a personality. <laughs> I did, I in did Hollywood love when he showed he up, even in the movie when he showed up. He has you know kind of a hipster mustache and a fur, and it's you know 1930. I mean, it's, and- I think it's the twenties. I think it was just a mustache. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but he's from California, so compared to oh, them, well, he's yeah. so like he's so out. Outsized compared to everyone. Everyone yeah, is well, very he, subtle, and he just has this this cadence to his voice that's just his own. That's yeah. He's just he's very he's unique. Yeah, he's a unique person. Yeah, in, and he seems Hollywood. also immune to all of the situations of the nobility and all those problems. Well, he's, very he's ignorant. He doesn't know, mm-hmm. and he's not part of it. But he has he the money and the authority to dismiss it all. Yeah. Well. Yeah. He's a big deal, it's true. In whether or not world. they think well, so. And I mean, you know, as far as they're concerned in Hollywood in the thirties. They don't care what they do in England. I mean, he cares yeah. in the sense that he's there researching his new picture. Mm, right. But, I mean, they were they were truly their own brand of royalty yeah. in Hollywood in the 30s. There isn't a single British lord that Bob Balaban's character would trade places with. Or no. Even cons- like, why Absolutely would he? not. He's, he's, you know, 
He's he moving can, up. He can get waited on at breakfast in America. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. if he's producing Charlie Chan movies, I mean, that's the equivalent of an Earl, I would imagine, or so. Like, yeah. Probably not quite a Duke level in Hollywood <laughs> producer terms, but he's up there. Yeah, and I also like, because Ivor Novello introduces himself, uh, he says, oh, I'm so-and-so's cousin, Ivor Novello, uh-huh. which is basically like if somebody came up to you today and it was like, oh, hello, I'm Andrew Mallet's cousin, Justin Bieber. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what he does know, and we hear it all through the film, is that Maggie Smith's character, uh, she's the Countess of Trentham, incidentally. That's her character name, although we will probably just call her Maggie Smith. (laughs) Right. Right. But she is still enough of the old nobility that he knows she doesn't give two fucks. Right. If he's Igor... Ivor? Ivor. Ivor? Ivor. 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 Yeah, it's Welsh, which is actually another you thing. You say Ivor, <laughs> I say who? <laughs> Ivor Novello. And who was, first of all, Welsh, and second of all, not of a class that Maggie Smith's character in this would have known anybody oh, really? he was related to. But I wonder yeah. why they put that detail in. I, it's Although not... I guess a cousin, in this society, a cousin could be a distant cousin. That's true. So That's true. But he knows that these people... You know, they care a lot about lineage. They care about who are you related right, to, right. blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, you know, he's he's in a similar position to Bob Alaban, where he's kind of a supplicant here, yeah. except that he understands the class system, whereas Bob Balaban's character, uh, Mr. Weissman, is from America, and he doesn't care. Right. He genuinely doesn't care. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, the whole the whole plot centers around, in fact, a shooting party. Oh dear! Uh, yes, a shooting party. That's, <laughs> no, that's something different in this day. Yeah, yeah it's <laughs> true. Not a shooting party, a shooting party. Yeah. <laughs> right. There's no wrestling. Sarah Palin. No hollering. Bummer. What about <laughs> tattoos? Uh, I not that I've noticed. Ah. Um, Cut-off shorts, at least. <laughs> I think Bertha had some cut-offs on. <laughs> oh, Bertha. Bertha. Oh, Bertha. We'll was, get there. Yeah, we'll, we'll get to you, Bertha. Everybody will we'll get to, to you. We'll have to get in line. <laughs> Boy, if I had to peg who was prime real estate below stairs, I would not have necessarily picked Bertha. And that yeah. was an amazing part of this movie. No, it was yeah. amazing. You know, the murder mystery, you know, I think the biggest mystery was how Bertha was getting all of the action. Yeah. I think it was only action from that one guy, though. Oh, was that it? They just never really right. showed the identity, and so yes. I just assumed it was no, everybody. No, it was the friend <laughs> of that guy who was trying to marry the daughter. Right. But, I mean, I think, I think the impression definitely was that that was who was in staying at the house that weekend. Other weekends, it might be somebody else. All right, just... fair. You know, because Mrs. Croft did mention uh, the way that she gets around. Ra- right. Yeah, carries on. Yeah. Bertha yeah. is that easy breezy Rubenesque woman, you know, <laughs> yeah. with a funky, dirty hat. <laughs> <laughs> Where she keeps her. Uh... No, because that's right. Because when she gave him a light when he got there. Oh, did she? I'm pretty sure that's who that was. And she, like, she sealed. Because I I remember. She lit his cigarette in the rain. Right. Outside. And I remembered when she lit that cigarette, she kind of, like, gave a look. Like, She's like, yeah, I'd hit that. And and she basically sealed the deal right there, man. man. I mean, God. How does she do that? Dating was so easy back then. Right? <laughs> you light somebody's cigarette. And, and you're good. Or bad, depending yeah. on... I, I'm not sure that they were dating. Dating okay. dating as we, we the, do... The hookup culture back then was much more streamlined. They were they were just going getting to know each other in the they, biblical sense. They didn't it was have, quite difficult. They didn't have rainbow parties, okay? <laughs> that is true. 
because the servants did not wear makeup. It is true. In this movie, they did not wear makeup at all, which I thought was a fantastic choice. Yeah. Mm As someone with squinty eyes who would like to be thought of as attractive, it was great to see what Kelly McDonald looks like without any makeup on. Yeah. I was like, ah, oh, squint on, you crazy servant. <laughs> and so she did. <laughs> but yeah, they all, they're all showing up at the shooting party, uh, including Tywin Lannister. Which yes, was, <laughs> who is from Game of Thrones, a.k.a. the actor Charles Dance. Yes. And he, now, was that, how was he related? He was Lord Stockbridge. Right. Whose wife is? I'm trying to figure out which which one was married to him. I don't, I don't know what her first name was. I think it might have been Lady Lavinia. Okay. Well, no. and they even make Lady a. Co- Lavinia- that's funny that you that you hesitate on that because they even make a comment about how everybody ends up married at the beginning. And, yeah, and What is yeah. the the comment about pa- no, cutting a deck of I'm cards? I'm not seeing a first name for her. Hang on, let me find it. Louisa. Lady oh. Louisa was his wife. Okay. So that is one that's of Louisa. Kristen Scott Thomas's sisters. So. Kristen okay. Scott Thomas plays Lady Sylvia, who's right. the wife of Sir William McCordle. Who is the... He's the owner of the estate. He's not a member of the peerage right. at all, from what I can tell. Yeah. Um, Lady Sylvia has retained her honorific from having been the daughter of someone who was a, in the peerage. And that's, and you know, I, I wonder when I watched the movie about the confidence that she had, you know, over her husband and to make, right. you know, mm-hmm. snarky comments about their marriage not being happy and uh-huh. him being kind of a damn fool. Right. And, you know, that makes more sense that it's her nobility anyway. She doesn't give a flying yeah. fork, yeah. really. There's, there's a line at one point because she's telling him how the seating will be at dinner and he complains that he'll have to sit next to somebody he doesn't want to. And she says, how many, do you want me to go over the order of precedence with you again? He's like, I don't care about that. And she says, you complain about people looking down on you, and then you go and act like a peasant. Uh-huh. Which, <laughs> which God, if I had a nickel for every time I say that to Tom, <laughs> I would have one nickel. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, just because I make my living as a subsistence farmer. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, so... Lady Louisa Stockbridge is one of her sisters, as well as Lady Lavinia Meredith, who is married to Commander Anthony Meredith. And there's one more sister. Is it like Edith? We're all, oh, yeah, there's another oh, no, okay, sister. Don't mind only, her. There's only, there's only two. So there's Louisa and Lavinia. Right. And we find out later that apparently one of them had to marry Sir William, and they cut cards to determine which of them would have to marry him. Yeah. Because presumably, again, there is a situation similar to what we see going on at Downton Abbey where their family was land-rich and cash-poor, and uh, Sir William was a manufacturer right. during World War One. It's not made per- it's, it's not, particularly clear. They don't say what clear. he manufactured. So the cutting cards thing, though, not the most horrible way to arrange a marriage in that time. Yeah, period. I mean, it was, <laughs> you it know? was just dumb luck. Yeah. Yeah. But he, we think he made munitions of some sort. Mm-hmm. He, hel- he said that he helped out in the war whenever she was in, Sylvia was insulting uh-huh. him at dinner about not yeah, he said he serving did his, bit. his bit, which was probably owning a big company that made yeah, millions from the war. Profiteering. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah, but the, the whole opening section is basically sort of standard stuff. We're just learning what everybody wants out of yes. the weekend. So, um, I mean, I guess... And funny enough, Lord for none of them, it's doesn't pheasant. particularly want anything. He's just there Lord Stockbridge is just there. You yeah, get he's just sense, there. You get the impression that he and his wife don't care for each other. And I think, and I could be wrong, 
Louisa had a thing for Sir William mm. because as soon as she arrives, she goes to see him in his library. Right, that's right. And, and they he, were very he's very grabby with her, yeah. and she's all like, "Oh, like she was giggly." It's tea time, and they had high tea. Yeah, that was probably mm-hmm. the highlight of the movie. I didn't for me. see any pedophores. They wouldn't have had it. Uh, we talked about it on a previous episode. Oh, this was a high, tell, this was a I'm high tea or a meat tea, okay. which would have been an, basically a meal because mm-hmm. they ate so late. Right. So you know there would have been you know cold meats and you know sandwiches. <laughs> you could call. <laughs> How it, dare well, we call it something Italian? <laughs> yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> Look at who you're Sorry, talking Gosford about. They Park. clearly don't find the Italians to be anything worth emulating. <laughs> although their food is delectable. I mean, I do, but, you know, I'm yeah. just speaking on behalf of Gosford <laughs> Park. I <laughs> But the the idea of a tea involving you know pedophores and a very light tea like that is actually an American idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, when tea was sort of transplanted as a custom to America, they ate much earlier in the evening, and they almost never would do a high tea. They would almost always do mm-hmm. uh, cakes and mm-hmm. you know dessert instead and, of a and meal. Bread and butter. Sounds yes. American. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Gogurt, sure, kids. Go ahead. Well, and then we we meet all the downstairs people. Right. The, because they're all loading everything in and, and everyone, you know, the beaters and the gamekeeper, they're mm-hmm. loading in all the guns and everything for the shoot. Yeah. Running all this is Helen Mirren as the housekeeper, Mrs. Wilson. Mrs. Wilson. Yeah. She's telling everybody where to go. Uh, and what their name is. And what their name is because <laughs> apparently and they're, they follow the old ways, which they say is that downstairs visiting servants are known by the name of the person they're there to serve. I'm curious how old that is. Right. Because they don't do it on Downton Abbey. Right. Clearly. Yeah. So, Unless they just did that for the, the ease of serialized television. Yeah. But, True. Well, well, but, but they I don't mean, have very many visiting servants that, on Downton. Well, they have some. That I mean, who do we ever talk to that's a visiting servant on uh, But not so many all at once. What's her name? Gollum. Oh, that's true. Rosamund's servant, and yeah, that's true. But most people don't bring their valets with them. Sir Richard does, but we don't talk to him. But, right, yeah. right. In any case, but they did call her Miss Shore. Right. So it wasn't so that, yeah, yeah. So they don't do it in Downton. Those country <laughs> well, in this way, you know, Downton didn't do it. The up the Downton didn't do it. Downton didn't do it. <laughs> but this well, way, is, you know, upstairs doesn't have to remember two sets of names of people that they'll never meet again. Yeah. yeah. Well, and it is also interesting the pride that. Mrs. Wilson and, and them all take on running such an old-fashioned whatever yeah. when it's not an old family at all. No, it's a new family. Yeah, so that's That's, that's why they care so hard. Maybe. Yeah. Although, you know, that I mean, but that probably comes from Kristen Scott Thomas, yeah. who is well, from she, a named family. Well, and she would technically speaking be running right, right. The, the household affairs. Right. So, I'll yeah. buy that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So let's see. Who all do we meet? We meet oh, Clive Owen. Clive Owen. Uh, he's so beautiful. Yeah. And he's not there. even that cute, but... Yeah, really the reason Lord Stockbridge is there is to bring... Clive Owen. Clive Owen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, which we all appreciate. Yes. <laughs> Everybody appreciates. We meet... What's his name? Well, because they call him Mr. Weissman, because he's there for Mr. Weissman. His real name is Henry Denton. Right. Uh, so he is Mr. Weissman's valet. And is Ryan Philippe? Philippe. Philippe? Philippe? I think it's you know, Philippe. Ryan Philippe. I think it's Philippe. Right. Philippe sounds Whoever funny. he is, I, I'm a big fan of his. Yes. And he's there with a, a very uh, unconvincing Scottish accent, mm-hmm. which 
is not which all the characters find unconvincing yes, as well. It's, it's even it. written into the subtitles because we did watch <laughs> this on subtitles. When he speaks, if he's speaking for the first time in the scene, it generally says in a Scottish accent. Yes. <laughs> and until you know that it's fake, it sort it sort of doesn't make any sense at the close. They sort of give it away. So everybody out there with hearing issues who was watching this movie on closed <laughs> right. captions, well, they may have yeah, given I mean, away it's, that it's this was in plot. a Scottish accent. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, yeah. But I mean, you you would know though, like if you could hear it, right? Like, yeah, it's yeah. They, they need to put that in. Point. There. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm but the they qu- they qualified. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. But no, they no, qualified no, no. in the closed captioning when yeah, they no, talk about they it in to. conversation already. Right. But they say in a Scottish accent. You know? Because I guess we might as well talk about this now. Yeah. He's actually an actor he there. Is, yes, he's an actor doing uh, research for a role, man. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he is. Just trying to like so. He reminds me of Kyle on Party Down. Yeah, he does. He does. He was doing research for Cruel Intentions, I believe, right? Yes, he was. Mm-hmm, okay. Yes, Adam Duritz or whatever from Counting Crows was there as well. They had a heck of a time getting his dreads under a hat, but they did it. So he's there and... and yeah, and we find out that Kelly McDonald will be rooming with Emily Watson, who is Elsie, the head housemaid. Yes. Anna. Anna's counterpart Anna's downstairs. Counterpart, yeah, which, you know, at this point... I, at this point, all my dreams have come true. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess I can return your birthday gift. <laughs> um, so, who else have we not met yet? Well, there's um, Isabel. Right. Isabel is the daughter of the family in the house. And yeah, they only had one kid. Yeah. Um, and, and she's, she's very... the one that, as we discussed, we see her having that hushed conversation. Yes, with Oh, with... Good lord, there's a lot of people in this yeah, movie. Oh yeah, we've, we've haven't so, even scratched the surface. There's we've Freddie Nesbitt, the he's the honorable Freddie Nesbitt, which means he's probably a very low level member of the peerage. Okay. Probably a baronet, I feel like. I just like to say baronet. You do. So if someone's not identified as another class, <laughs> I always identify them as a baronet. Oh, I, was, um, I, was, I wasn't sure if it meant something <clears throat> in the legal, per, per, like that he was... Well, but he's not a lawyer. You would, no, you would be in the peerage. Honorable is a title okay. that you would be if you, you know if there were someone announcing the guests at the door, mm-hmm. they would have said the honorable Freddie Nesbitt, which is one rung below the right honorable. Okay. okay. So, and I don't have my my diagram chart, of, the, yeah. of the peerage right now. But yeah, he is married to a woman named Mabel, who is common. Uh, yes. She was not highborn at all. He married her for her money, and her money has run out. Yeah, right from the glove factory. Right? Oh, was it from a glove yeah, factory? Yeah, it was. She was yeah. a glove heiress. Oh, wow. Yeah. She, says she tries to go on about it, and he says, "Shut up." Oh, man, <laughs> that is fascinating to me. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. she's. I would she's, be like, "Tell me all about the gloves." When she's talking with somebody at dinner, even Novello, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and says, he was he was interested. He was like, yeah. "Tell me about the gloves." And yeah. her, hus- her husband silences she, her from the across the yeah. table. Yeah, yeah. Shut they up, have a horrible. They have a very bad marriage. Yeah, like, yeah. ooh, yeah, um, it's wretched. Well, and she she just has a terrible time because she doesn't fit in, and all the aristocracy. Like Maggie Smith hates the, her. I mean, Maggie Smith doesn't really want. She wants to maintain her allowance, which Sir William is considering cutting her off from. Right. Well, actually, I believe she is. She wants more of an allowance. Oh. And Sir William, because he's a horrible, horrible person, is like, oh, she wants more, eh? I'll just cut her off. That'll show her. I'll give it to my Brussels griffin. I'm not... (laughs) Look, I'm not standing up for him. I'm just saying that the other problem is that he is supporting every single member of his wife's family, which, Mm -hmm. granted, uh, Maggie Smith points out, he agreed to that in the marriage contract. The Mm -hmm. terms of the marriage, 
it was like a pre prenup. <laughs> yeah, was that he would he would guarantee the support of his wife's family. Mm-hmm. However, he has now grown tired of that because, as we see, nearly every person who comes to this dinner outside of his family is asking him for money, right, mm-hmm. or, so got- or something. Nesbitt is asking for money and is also... Asking for a job. Asking for a job. Nesbitt's asking everybody. And and (laughs) basically blackmailing him indirectly by threatening to go public by the fact that he has been having an affair with Isabel. Who might be pregnant. Who might be pregnant. That is not made totally clear. Yeah. Yeah. I have not seen anything that indicates one way or the other. Right. But there's some hints that she might be... Um, or maybe she had an abortion in the past. Yeah, that also I, I, might be God, the case. She does look, I mean, the entire movie, she's sort of sluggish and yeah, frazzled. Well, and, we kept saying she looked like Winona Ryder in, mm-hmm. in Edward Scissorhands. Just yeah. that whole, like, 90s, 90s. Mm-hmm. heroin <laughs> chic circles under the eyes. God, her hair. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God, her hair. It yeah. looks like she just stuck her finger in a socket. Yeah. Everybody like, else there. has a finger wave. Everybody else has a finger well, wave. Well, they have a wave. I think it's a permanent or a wave. wave. The only character that I saw with a finger wave was Emily Watson's character, mm-hmm. with Elsie, the head housemaid, uh, mm-hmm. which is totally consistent because she reads movie magazines. She's, She's actually all... like the Ethel. Yeah. Uh, yeah. More than more than the Anna. Yeah. I mean, you know, obviously, look, none of these right. people are going to be direct. Right. Which is a credit to Julian Fellows. Yes. But, you know, she would have gotten out of her movie magazines how to do a finger wave if you didn't have the money or the time to go put yourself under the hot right. irons she had for some hours and fashion hours. Fashion sensibilities. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I wonder if we'll be seeing that hairstyle cropping up on Downton Abbey because it's time yeah. for that hairstyle to be. And some more popular. shoulders. There were so many shoulders. Did there you notice? There were a lot. Of, well, it's the 30s and it's, yeah. it's very much about. Oh, God. What are they called? Were they uh, the the bias cut, the bias um, cut becomes hugely popular, mm. and uh, yeah, and I mean modesty goes way. And way we're down. biased towards showing skin. Oh so. yes, very much <laughs> yeah. so. Yeah, not Kristen Scott Thomas's. For the record, there's not a lot. For the skin record, there. <laughs> Kristen Scott Thomas was introduced riding a horse, and I wasn't sure which one was which. <laughs> <laughs> Boom! <laughs> Take that, in the English patient. <laughs> Nobody likes you. <laughs> Not True. here. Sorry. Huh? You like it? <laughs> no. Good. <laughs> <laughs> and even if I did, by the line, you know, viewers out there, you can't see the look in Kelly's eyes. <laughs> but when she says the word Kristen Scott Thomas, you just feel compelled to agree with her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and Bob Balaban is there, as we've said, researching his movie. to a Charlie and Chan picture set at a uh, country estate. Yes. There's also two dudes there. There's a young man who's trying to marry Isabel. Right. Named Lord Rupert Standish. And then he's got a friend named Jeremy Blonde. Yeah. And they're students, presumably at Oxbridge. Yeah. And And they arrive late. They do arrive mm-hmm. late. That's right. They arrive that night. I was so trying- so uh, Sylvia sends them a tray in a separate room. They yes. can't join dinner. They yeah. get a tray. They get Arby's. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Is that is that... Well, we haven't gotten through all the servants yet. Right. There's so many of them. There really are. (laughs) So there's Mrs. Croft is the cook. And what we know at the beginning is that she and Mrs. Wilson hate each other. Mm -hmm. And you see them doing so. I forget. Derek Jacoby is... uh, He is the... uh, He's the valet for Sir William. And his name... Serve the P. Probert? Yeah, that sounds right. And then Mr. Jennings is the butler. Jenkins. Jenkins. No, Jennings. Jennings. Yeah, it's Jennings. Who's Jenkins? I don't think there is a Jenkins. It's another movie, maybe. Seems like there should be. (laughs) 
this many people. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I even, yeah, I, I just, I have a note here, by the way, that just says clear motivations and obstacles, which is something I liked about this movie. Like, it, it's very yeah. clear in the beginning. This is what these people want. This is what's standing in their way. Well, but with an ensemble movie, I think it has to be. And it's also, like, they're clear, but they're not obvious. Right, you know? right, right. Nobody's running around. Like, the you know, the exposition is obvious. Right. But it's handled in an organic way. Because yeah. you get a lot of it. Because I love the relationship between Maggie Smith and Kelly McDonald. Right. It's fantastic. Because, she, you know, Maggie Smith has kind of given up on... Uh, being proper. She calls her maid Mary because she can't pronounce her last name. <laughs> yeah. Uh, which is, as we know from Downton Abbey, the appropriate way to address a lady's maid is simply by her last name. Right. But they both keep giving each other information. Like, Kelly McDonald asks all these questions about, you know, the marriage of Sir William and, and how he well, made and his Maggie fortune. Well, and Maggie Smith is rather kind and open with her, yeah, considering she really when she is. refers to she... her at the beginning of the movie, she says, I'm, I'm breaking in a new maid. Yes, you know, exhausting. Breaking but, her in. Yeah, I mean, she's she's very chilled out behind the scenes with her. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. she's still very imperial. I think she upholds that. She tries to tell her, you know, her nobility friends that she's breaking in her new maid when really her and her maid are like hitting it off, gal yeah. pals, like whatever. Well, it gives, you know, it gives Maggie Smith something to do all yeah. day. Yeah. No, and it's actually, you, you make a good point because until now, I had not really realized to what extent the way she talks about a relationship with her maid isn't true. Mm-hmm. That they do get along okay. Yeah. Yeah, there's but, never really a moment in the movie where she's cruel to her, mm-hmm. other than the thermos and, you know. Well, I mean, she's... She's she's demanding. She's yeah. demanding. But uh, she's not mean. Right. With the shirt thing and everything uh-huh. like that. But, I mean, you see with things like... Cause, so there's a, there's a scene where it's night and they're getting ready for the shooting the next day and Maggie Smith asks Kelly what shirt she brought for the, the hunt. And she says, "Oh, it was this this one?" And she says, "Oh, no, we need something much plainer. I'll wear the." She one wants I wore to today. dress down to fit in with yeah. these scum here. I mean, there <laughs> were very rigid dress. I mean, Hollywood, right? Well, she says something much plainer for outdoors. Always. Yeah, for country sports. For country sports, mm-hmm. that's right. So she says, "I'll just wear the one I wore today." And Kelly McDonald says, "Oh, but it's soiled." And she says, "Oh, well, you can wash it, can't you?" Which seems like, and I mean, that is a lot to ask of her in reality, but Maggie Smith just doesn't really know yeah. or care. Well, what... she's never done laundry. Right. Why, you know, how would she know? Yeah. I, and so I had always sort of thought of that as just Maggie Smith being mean. But then you see other things. Like, I remember there's a scene where Kristen Scott Thomas is getting ready for bed, and she says, oh, is there more chocolate in that pot? And her maid says, well, I'll go and get some more for you. Like, it's just expected. You're just going yeah. to do... She doesn't even have to breathe a passive-aggressive sigh right, before her exactly. maid is running off to make mm-hmm. it. Yeah, yeah. That's also uh, Dorothy. We haven't mentioned her Right. Yet. She's sort of the sad sack, and just everybody's so mean to her. She's the daisy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, she, I believe, she's in love with Mr. Jennings. Yeah. The butler. Yeah. But more importantly, everybody loves to shit on her. Oh, man. They really <laughs> Upstairs do. and downstairs. She gets blamed for literally everything. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's not clear if they're actually sort of courting. I feel like I remembered them having an actual affair, but I don't think that is anything that we see. Yeah, yeah. I don't think... So I guess he doesn't know that she's in love with him. I think that may be the case, yeah. Until that, you know, until that moment at the end where she does approach him. I'll do anything for you. I'll say anything yeah, during the investigation. No. She does kind of pour her heart out. No, she's very awkward. Mm-hmm. She's the McG. <laughs> I would absolutely treat her like shit. <laughs> <laughs> 
Sam, we have to go back. <laughs> First the hat. <laughs> <laughs> then Sam gets to treat Dorothy like shit. <laughs> We've all got plans. Okay, so I think that's uh, that's. This is pretty much all the major players. Bertha. Oh, Bertha. All right, we mentioned her. We did talk about Bertha. So Bertha is one of the kitchen maids, and she is just large and in charge. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I said Rubenesque. (laughs) I said large and in charge because I don't like to reuse adjectives. (laughs) When I can help it. Yeah. Okay, well. Um, She is in charge. Yeah. Yeah, she is one of the cooks. Yeah. And an assistant cook or whatever your title mm-hmm. would be there. Yeah. Um, well, if the budget can can stretch. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> no, we we so when Kelly McDonald does go wash that shirt in the kitchen, we the camera pans past her and we see somebody with their pants around their ankles and Bertha's legs up in the air and uh yeah. It's scandalous. Yep. And Bertha's response to getting caught in the acts of coitus is to comfortably walk up with a cigarette and ask why she didn't knock. Yeah. <laughs> in, a, in a public in a, in in a, a public cal- space. In a public this space, wasn't Bertha's calmly yeah. and accusatory almost, yeah. you know, insights that she should remember to yes, knock yes. <laughs> yeah. before walking into the kitchen at night. Yeah. <laughs> this is where I fuck. And this is, this, <laughs> yes, exactly. Everybody knows this is Bertha's fuck room. And this is why Bertha's in control. Well, out of it. <laughs> what if is this kitchen's a rock and don't come on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's the people yeah. of Gosford Park yeah. in general. They have a dinner that first night, and that's where Lord Stockbridge basically gets his one moment of you know prominence where Kristen Scott Thomas decides to super passive-aggressively point out to everybody that Sir William didn't fight in the war mm-hmm. uh, and says, oh, well, thank God that we've got Lord Stockbridge here. At least somebody in the family did something. Go on. How many times were you mentioned in dispatches? And he's like, I can't remember. Uh-huh. And she's like, oh, of course you do. And it's just really like... And everybody mean. else at the table is, is thinking, we don't care. It's still him we have to suck up to. They were actually really <laughs> enthralled. Yeah. Um, no, because... I think uh, I, one, Mr. Nesbitt possibly was asking, like, oh, no, really? Like, he's being modest, right? And yeah. she's like, oh, yes, he's being too modest. Yeah. No, I mean, because it was like, like the, you know, sort of the shadow of World War One is still over everybody. Because the people, so many people had to suffer so horribly in that, that if you weren't a part of that, you know. You can't relate to anybody. Yeah. Also, I wonder if that's why they've had some difficulty in marrying off Isabel. Hmm. Because she does not have a title. Right. I don't think. Uh, Their daughter. Their daughter wouldn't have a title. Mm -hmm. Right. But, I mean, you know, most of the guys her age are dead. Yeah. You know? Yeah. A lot of them didn't come through it. Or may- well, maybe because well, I, I guess it would have been twelve years prior. Yeah, so that doesn't true. really hold so up. That doesn't. That, that doesn't would explain out. why those boys are so callous, though. Yeah. The students, they're very like, yeah, uh, you know, jerky. Right. <laughs> That's true. They are. They're very Duke of Crowbro-y. They are. Yeah. I wonder what I wonder what the old Duke of Crowbro got up to during the war. <laughs> I would watch that spinoff. It's <laughs> <laughs> a fair question. Yeah, and that's mainly what happens at the the dinner. We establish how much Kristen Scott Thomas and Sir William hate each other, which is a lot. Yeah, yeah, and you know, every the the people that are there to beg for money sort of are all looking for their opportunity uh-huh. to beg for money or whatever. But that's that's pretty much it. Yeah, and I think it's is it before the dinner that we have the scene with the Nesbits 
that's so awful? Or I, after? I think it. I think. I think well, it may be after the dinner, but where he where he's uh, screaming at her to make herself look presentable. I and think isn't that the next day? Maybe it is the next I day. I think it's after the shoot. Second okay. Time. Yeah. You know at what? some point. Yeah, They've watched the movie. You right. know, cousins. You know the one we mean. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because that, that is awful. That's one of the most... It's really bad. Well, because she confesses... It would have to be the next day, I think, because she's confessed that she's never had a lady's maid. Right. Or maybe it is that dinner. Right. Well, she says... she. Right. I think it's the... Like, some point... I think it's at the, the tea, the first tea mm-hmm. that she says that. That's where... Because Maggie Smith is saying about how exhausting it is to break in a new uh-huh. lady's maid. And she's like, I've never had a lady's maid. So, since she doesn't have a lady's maid, they've drafted Elsie to prepare her and get her ready for everything. And, and just... And you know, Elsie's there for this mm-hmm. horrible confrontation. And poor, you know, poor Mrs. Nesbitt is sweet, as sweet as pie. Oh, and, yeah. you know, she looks She's... so delighted that whenever her husband does come in and criticize everything about her and how she looks and walk out, she she moves to get, she stops, well, and, and almost cries, that... moves to get ready for dinner, and then looks delighted when Elsie hands her a tissue as though it's so amazing that someone She's should care about her. She's also confronting him poor about woman. the fact that he's been carrying on with Isabel. Right. Sir William's daughter, and she knows, and she just wants him to admit that he's doing it. Mm-hmm. Because as a member of the middle class, she would not be accustomed to the idea of these sort of playful infidelities mm-hmm. that were going on. Right. I mean, I say playful. People did take them very seriously in some cases. Right. And, but that he would, that he would but consider that he would, himself to have a right to. Yes, and that he yes. would see nothing wrong with it. So she's very, very middle, you know... She is very middle class, yeah. which is probably why, like, my loyalties, if they're with anybody in this movie, they're with her. Yeah. Well, and also, uh, she was in a great movie, which we might actually do at some point, called The Cat's Meow. Mm-hmm. And should really look and see if there's anything else she's done that we would like, because uh-huh. we... No, she was a great actress in this. Yeah. She's a really impressive performance. Because she's not really known, but she's really holding her weight against all of these really prominent people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, her name is uh, Claudie Blakely, incidentally, if right. you at home are interested in looking her up. Yeah. So, again, nothing else much really happens that night. I mean, uh, we get scenes of, of Kelly McDonald talking with Elsie. Uh, you know, and Elsie's very worldly. She's, she's got a real sort of insouciance. Right. About she lounges yeah. in the bathtub with her cigarette and nodding her head back. Yeah. Laughing. Yeah. I mean, she's just. Yeah. She's yeah. She's kind of just been there, done that mm-hmm. in a way that none of the other servants are. Yeah. She's like Ethel, but with like a reason somehow. Right. She's she's not. She's like she's not dissatisfied with her life. No. She's, she understands what her position is, and she's you know fine with that, whatever. Mm-hmm. But she just she just doesn't think of service as this big deal yeah. one way or the other. It's just her job right now, and she doesn't resent it. But it's just part yeah. of yeah. Um, because I ha- I have a note that just says men chattering, dogs barking. So I know that that's where the shoot started. Yes. Just so it must be. Well, first of all, there's we get one of several always great conversations with Bob Balaban with his producers back yes. in Hollywood on the phone. Well, he, uh, cause he, he's shows his Americanness early on by saying that I'm, I'm going to have a very, I booked a very important call with California. Be sure and notify me. Oh, I, I don't worry. I'll reverse the charges. Uh-huh. And Kristen Scott Thomas just like walks away from him because yeah. for talking about money, yeah. which is why would you, why would you even say that? To yeah. Me? Um, but he, at one point, he says that uh, Una Merkel has dropped out of the show that they're doing. So I just looked her up. Uh, she was born in Covington. 
Kentucky. Oh, Kentucky? Yeah. Good for her. She, what a horrible name. That makes perfect sense. <laughs> yeah. And uh, she looked a lot like Lillian Gish and actually got her start as a stand-in for Lillian oh, Gish. Oh, good for and her. to have her own career. So Good un, Una. <laughs> <laughs> um, but also that night then is when Kelly McDonald, it being her first night there, accidentally went to the men's side mm-hmm. of the servant's bedroom area and was found there by Denton, whatever his Scottish secret name was. Well, he was just called Mr. Weissman. Right. But, um, but anyway, Ryan Phillippe, I think, does she go into his room thinking that it's hers? or No, he pushes her in. Yeah, he mm-hmm. pushes like, her in. He sees her and assumes she's there for sex because yeah. this is apparently this guy's M.O. Yeah, he is... Why? Uh, yeah, he needs to be at a sex anonymous meeting. Yeah, like, no, like there. I think there are less people upstairs and downstairs in this mansion that are that are sleeping with Ryan Phillippe than. Uh, <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but yeah, and so he uh, gets down to raping, and fortunately, at that point, Clive Owen, who's rooming with him, comes comes well, in. Well, I think he hears her yelling. Yeah, because she, she's yeah. she is kicking up a bit of a fuss mm-hmm. yes um so he comes in and and sort of stops all that because if clive owen narrowed his eyes at you you would stop whatever you were doing yeah uh, and he asks what she's doing there and she says oh i i came up the wrong staircase and and then he tried to come up my wrong staircase if, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> um and uh i think uh, so she has a little bit of a conversation with Clive Owen. Uh, he reveals, by the way, for our, our Downton fans, that he was previously employed by the Earl of Flincher. <gasps> Not the Earl of Flincher. Yes. So presumably he was there for the whole scandal with that family in Yorkshire and the uh-huh. Turkish gentleman. Oh, um, that Turkish gentleman. What was his name again? <laughs> I I can't pronounce it. Oh, well, too bad. <laughs> Sorry, cousins. We're <laughs> idiots. Pamuk? We'll work on our Turkish. <laughs> Pamuk? <laughs> oh, anyway, he was Turkish. Who cares? Yeah, that's, yeah not me. Uh, so yeah, that's those are the main events that I can recall from the night yeah. before the shoot. Not, it wasn't a very eventful night. Everybody would have gotten there relatively late in the yeah. day. Yeah. Well, and 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 Clive Owen doesn't say anything about the raping, but he makes right. his displeasure oh, known. He knows. Yeah. Clive Owen always knows. Oh, and and uh, Ryan Phillippe tries to call him mate. <laughs> yes. And Clive Owen's like, "Don't call me mate." Yeah. Which is great. It is. In his stupid accent that everyone, they're taking, you know, nobody's calling him out about it because they're British. Again, Clive Owen doesn't call him out about the raping. Because (laughs) how very un-British would that be? Yeah. Uh, But, you know, they're all just giving him the side eye the whole time. Yeah. Ryan Phillippe, they're like, really? Yeah. Well, he, well, that's, that's something that we've missed because at dinner, he just randomly is like, I was wondering how many of the people in his Scottish accent, how many of you had parents that were in service and was that why you went into it? And Mr. Right, he Jen- asks a demographic question. Yeah, that's actors for you, man. That's yeah. what. <laughs> and Mr. <laughs> that's Jennings, what happens. And I just like I. It didn't quite make sense to me. Mr. Jennings just being like, "What an interesting question." I don't. I can't answer it. Everyone with parents in service, please raise your hands. I think he was making fun of him. Yeah. I mean, I honestly mm-hmm. think that, yeah. and I, you know, I think the servants kind of knew it too. But at the same time, they were probably glad to be able to talk about themselves for a change. Right. And it does also made for some nice exposition uh, that we will need later, which was that Clive Owen was. Uh, he says, "I know what my parents did, but it's not why I went into service. I was raised in an orphanage." And everybody's like, "Oh." 
Orphan. And Mr. Jen and Mr. They don't you don't see this, but Mr. Jennings off screen says, and this is why we don't ask personal questions. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Indeed. So yeah, that happened and the the birth of Bangin and uh The Birth of Bangin. Um I, think I believe no, because Lady uh Lady Sylvia comes in just after the orphanage reveal and meets uh Right. Meets Ryan Phillippe. And she seems yeah. more enthused and about the idea they, of him raping her. Yeah. <laughs> they, they, they make some eye contact. They, I guess that was all it took. That's all it, it took. was. Just one look. Maybe that's what happened. Maybe Kelly McDonald accidentally made eye contact. <laughs> it was like, oh, that's the code. <laughs> she didn't know. She's new uh, here. So anyway, then he goes to her room. Right. After he, you know, kind of gets confronted by Clive Owen, he's, he says that line about oh I've got a date with a hot glass of milk and Clive Owen is like what the fuck are you talking about mm-hmm. yes. who talks like this because he, he previously made a little arrangement with the lady of the house yes so 1am at 1am we have our first booty call set in Gosford yes. Park 1am <laughs> yeah and it, it goes off without a hitch apparently so well I hope so now why didn't they show that though I'm, I'm, I want to know why that sex scene didn't make the cut but we got like three with Bertha uh, she signed a nudity clause. Well, Damn her. Do you hate her more because no of that? Nudity in the, in the movie. <laughs> That's true. I don't know. Kristen Scott Thomas decided to be a bitch about it. Trust she ruined me. it. The, the movie had Kelly McDonald and Emily Watson both take a bath, and there was no nudity in this movie. Yeah, that's true. I would have known. <laughs> <laughs> this is one of Tom's favorite movies. <laughs> oh, nope, never mind. <laughs> I love them for their personalities. <laughs> So then, then we get to the, the the dogs barking and the men chattering, <laughs> right? And Julian Fellows just beside himself with joy. Yeah, because there's a shoot. I mean, really, I don't think anything particularly exciting for the amount of time that the shoot takes up in a very crowded movie. Not much happens in it. I don't think someone shoots Sir William in the ear. Right. I believe it's uh, Commander Meredith. Right. Who's kind of a social faux pas doer. Yeah. He, well. Uh, he's- He's very short, and that is like Already. his character. Yeah, like, everyone hates him for being short. Yeah, he's like the Branson. <laughs> uh, oh, <laughs> Park. Yeah, without the handicap of being Irish. Yeah, or lower class. Um, yeah, nothing much really happens on the shoot, and I mean, I guess would this be a good time to talk about shoots? Yeah, let's let's talk so. about it. All right, so we've talked a little bit about it in the past, and I don't have a whole lot more insight into the actual logistics of the shoot. I do have a little bit more information on sort of what ladies would do during the day. The day of the shoot? Well, there would be two days of shooting. There would be, technically speaking, a shoot would last for three days. But only two of those would actually be shooting days. They'd be followed then by an idle day where everybody would just kind of chill out. Because even for very, very dedicated sportsmen, two days of hard hard shooting (laughs) uh, were very physically taxing. Because, you know, they would last from, like... 10 a.m. until 6 in the evening. Mm. Um, so that's a long time. I think to be you out might there. be being easy on them. They had Bloody Marys at their shooting. Well, for the, for the luncheon. And even the luncheon, where. The, yeah, that was interesting. The, the, the luncheon. The lunch. uh, every pop culture thing I've seen about a shoot, they have a special place on the estate where the shoot is where they have a luncheon. Mm hmm. However, what I was reading in this guide to shooting etiquette from Edwardian Promenade, uh, it said that 
often that if if the men were serious sportsmen, and I don't think there were serious sportsmen at this one, but when I read the shooting party, there were some very serious sort of competitive shooters at the at the mm-hmm. party. Mm-hmm. It would have been thought of as rude to interrupt the the sport with a lunch like that. So I'm not entirely sure. I think it's rude to interrupt Bloody Marys with shooting. <laughs> but that's just me. Yeah. And that's uh, why I'm an American. <laughs> um, so, yeah. But uh, when you were choosing who to invite, for every five guns you would invite, five gentlemen who were going shooting, you uh, invited seven ladies. And then you rounded out the male contingent to balance out the numbers for the dinner with uh, neighbor boys. So hmm. the fact that the suitors for um, Isabel are invited, because I don't think they go on the shoot. Okay. I don't recall seeing them at the shoot. I could be wrong. Right. But they're just placeholders. They're placeholders. They're there to balance well, out the men and the women. Not to bring it back to Bertha, because... but Bertha and the placeholders, I just feel like that, <laughs> <laughs> that should either be a band or a spinoff. <laughs> Um, we continue. <laughs> but the, the women during the shoot were expected to entertain themselves during the day. A lot of them would do letter writing, which was a concept that people on the continent found bizarre because mm. they didn't understand how busy British women were. And I'm not entirely sure I understand how busy British <laughs> women are. But, you know, that, that correspondence would be an important thing for them and mm. that they would have to keep up with their correspondence. They could also potentially go shopping if there was any shopping to be had in the area. Or they would also make calls in the neighborhood on other other women that they knew. So it kind of depended on where you were. Yeah. Uh, if there was if there was no one worth making calls on or nowhere to go shopping, gambling was very popular. Baccarat was the first mm-hmm. uh, sort of socially acceptable game to kind of rise to prominence. And Prince Edward actually was was huge into that. Yeah, but he was involved in this huge scandal surrounding it. I can't remember the name of the scandal. Um, but Baccarat then was kind of banished because it had caused mm. all this trouble. But then Bridge rose to prominence, and we see them playing Bridge in this right. movie. And 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 women were just nuts about Bridge. They yeah. went crazy for it. Yeah. Oh, I was just going to say that uh, about gambling. That somebody mentions that you know who do you think pays for you to spend all this time at Biarritz? Mm-hmm. Uh, Biarritz was uh, it's on the west coast of France, right down by the Spanish border, and uh, it had a casino that mm-hmm. opened in 1901, and that was a big part. It had been in a it, the Victoria had vacation there, oh. and then Edward after her sure would vacation there. But it you know once they got the casino, then it got real big, right, <laughs> right. No, and what's really interesting about the gambling, once that sort of became socially acceptable for women, they started forming ladies' clubs, similar gentlemen's clubs, which mm. you hear a bit more about sort of like with Oscar Wilde and, and Victorian times. Uh, it was very fashionable for gentlemen to go into the city and go to their gentlemen's club in London. Right. And, and that was sort of their catch-all excuse for any... Uh, mischief they wanted to get Might have been into. a little different for Oscar Wilde, too. Well, that is true. That is definitely true. Yeah. Well, that's a whole other podcast. Yeah. <laughs> because that whole subculture was fascinating, mm-hmm. as well as one of the stars of this movie, Stephen Fry, would be happy to <laughs> tell you for hours and hours, I'm sure. Yeah. But women then began having these ladies' clubs, so then they would have excuses to be late for, for dinner or have to rush getting dressed. So it actually was an equalizer 
to have women have gambling as an option, mm-hmm. uh, which I thought was really fascinating. Yeah. And it was great that they sort of seized this opportunity and, and formed these social clubs yeah. uh, based around it. It gave them a certain modicum of freedom that they didn't have before. So the other, the other thing, as Sam has alluded to, a huge part of the shooting party was sex. We've talked many, many times about these affairs in Edwardian uh, society. And for a couple to have an affair and actually to physically consummate the affair is ungodly difficult. <laughs> it took forever. They would have to be corresponding for several years. Um, they had to consider the fact that, you know, there were always servants everywhere. The clothes alone, getting out of the clothes... Uh, without a servant, if you didn't want to witness. Because yeah. obviously, you know, servants aren't supposed to say anything. Right, if you can't undress and dress yourself, how are you going to keep your affair secret? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but if the lady, the lady of the house was expected to sort of keep up with who was trying to have sex with who and arrange bedrooms accordingly. Oh. So I don't think that that plays into Gosford Park because nobody who's having an affair is supposed to be having an affair. Like, it wasn't an right. arranged you affair. Know, well, cause, you know, <laughs> not only... if the affair involves the unmarried daughter, because the right. affairs were only acceptable if you, if both parties were married. Mm-hmm. It was absolutely unacceptable to be sort of sullying an unmarried person. Well, an unmarried Unless it's woman. Bertha. Right. Well, but Bertha's of a different social class, and right. I again, I'm yeah. still not clear on what the etiquette. It sucks that there's etiquette around this, but what the etiquette for having sex with uh, the serving classes were. Right. There, you know, nobody, nobody seems to be coming to this particular shooting party to get it on. I mean, despite the fact that many of them do. I mean, it, it's it's weird because I don't know what the etiquette would be for the lady of the house because she knows that her sister wants to be hooking up with Sir William, but then is she putting her in a bedroom? You know, adjacent to his? Is she in a separate bedroom from her husband? Um, right. There's a lot of logistics. And it almost justifies where McGee and Downton Abbey puts Jinxie right. in with Rosamond right. uh, in the Christmas special. But we don't have enough information about that. That seems like a relatively new prospect. Mm-hmm. And they're not looking to have an affair. They're looking to court and potentially be married. Right, so right. on the other hand, maybe McGee just saw that Rosamond clearly needed to get some mm-hmm. and was like, you know what? Maybe, maybe she'll unclench her lips. For a while. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then the other function, which we do see um, the shooting parties, you know, typically took place in the fall. That was pretty much August and September were the big months for shooting. So they would be considered a very last ditch effort for mama's, to foist their daughters on some unsuspecting nobleman. Hmm. So we see uh, Blonde, is that the guy? Yeah. Blonde comes sort of looking to potentially marry uh, Isabel, who presumably, I don't know to what extent the London season is a factor at this point. Right. Um, but, you know, the the traditional means of auctioning her off for marriage don't seem to have quite gone off the way everyone had hoped. Not with that haircut. Not <laughs> with that. I mean, seriously, come on. Like, is she even trying she doesn't appear to be. She's like, Freddie Nesbitt doesn't care what my hair looks like. We're in love. <laughs> um, oh. <laughs> so, yeah. So that's pretty much your your basic shoot. Um, and again, they weren't sporting at all. There is nothing sportsmanlike about They're a shoot. They're all but throwing the pheasants into the air. They like are throwing pigeons. them in the air. Yeah. Like, they are literally throwing them in the air. Um, there were other animals that would be used occasionally, but those would also be sort of 
captured and kept by the gamekeeper and then released. They just wanted to like slingshot a cat up there too. And- <laughs> <laughs> they take Sir William's dog that everyone hates. That and- Russell's Griffin. <laughs> That poor thing. Um, He's the victim yeah. here. He's the real victim yeah, here. Yeah, He's the only Thomas one who really suffers a loss. She did? Yeah. Oh, that's right. Scenes, she kicks the dog. Oh, my God. Yeah. Well, I mean, look, that that dog is fine, but it's no ISIS. <laughs> yeah, no. No, that's true. I'm team ISIS as far as dogs go. <laughs> Fair enough. In Julian Fellow's vehicles. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's, you know, that's basically a very abridged kind of fashion backwards type thing about shooting parties. So hmm. now you know if you're going to have a shooting party and fight five guys, seven ladies, and then up for the slack with some dudes you know yeah yeah after the shoot they're they're back and i don't think we really see the dinner but we see them after dinner no we do see the dinner because that is when what was that that's when Kristen scott thomas goes off. oh right no we very she much doesn't just we do see no we've seen her sort of leading up to bad mouthing her husband right and um she's been kind of like laying the groundwork for this and they're all at dinner after the shoot that day and she just like rips him apart. Yeah, like it's it's no longer passive aggressive. No, so un Aggressive, aggressive. Yeah, no, mm-hmm. it is un-British. You're right. But she, God, what does she say? I'm trying to remember. It was just. It was shocking. It was shocking. Whatever. That he didn't serve. That he didn't serve in the no, war. No, that was what she. Had that said was what she pre- said before. That was what she oh, said this was worse. <laughs> just yeah. She's. Uh, she is accusing him of being a profiteer, of being a war profiteer. Oh, okay. It's so it's the same. Yeah, same sort of thing. Yeah. All right. And um, Elsie is in the room and rises to his defense. Yeah. And 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 calls him Billy. Yeah. Which in no way should a maid or anyone who isn't having sex with him call him that. Right. Except for the part where, guess who's having sex with Sir William? (laughs) It's Elsie. Elsie, the worldly, relatively attractive Elsie, who, I don't know why. Yeah. And as I wrote down, awkwardest moment ever. Yeah, because everybody is just like, look, Everybody thought it was awkward when Kristen Scott Thomas was just yelling at him. Yeah. But now it's risen to totally different territory. Yeah. And just everything just goes to hell. Like, Sir William, like, leaves and goes to his library. Yeah. And, you know, everybody else is like, well, do we keep eating or, or what? <laughs> but, yeah. But Elsie leaves, obviously. Right. She's really, uh, really screwed the pooch. Yeah. Not the actual pooch. The metaphorical mm-hmm. pooch. Right. Yeah, and, but and it's... Yeah, so it's, you know, scandal. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, then the after dinner, um, so they have to get Eva Novello to play for them to, to calm all their jangled nerves. Yes, yes. And we, uh, that, we do see the bridge happening there. Um, we also see Kristen Scott Thomas enter the room making a snarky comment about William's affair. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sort of sort of saying, well, we've all known it anyway, sort of just alluding to the fact that it, making a snarky comment, well, we all know it's no big deal, whatever. I mean, he is a seriously handsy dude. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. He, well, we saw him earlier, like, wipe some hair of the dog off of Emily Watson's boob. Yeah, yeah. And he was going for the boobs of his sister-in-law. Yeah. Uh, and he's had a stressful day. We forgot to mention at the luncheon, the shooting luncheon, uh, oh, Commander, he was shot. Well, he was shot, right. but then Commander Meredith, who shot him, uh, <laughs> he has some sort of business investment in the Sudan that he wants. Or 
Sir William had agreed to invest, but then he decided to pull out, and and uh, Commander Meredith is like really trying hard to um, get you know, him. To, yeah. He tried so hard, he knocked his bloody Mary out of his he hand did. in he, the stone gazebo. It was really awkward. It was awkward. And Second as, most awkward moment, perhaps. Yeah, I was gonna say not as awkward as the maid announcing that right. she's having sex with. But the guy, drinks were but lost. Drinks were lost. <laughs> drinks were lost. Lives, perhaps even. But yeah. drinks, more importantly. Yeah. <laughs> but after dinner, then turns into. Uh, I mean, really the best scene in, in the whole thing in its way. Well, first, I wanted to say that we do see them playing bridge, including Isabel playing bridge with just this hilarious, like, her cards are all askew, and she's like... She's just, like, shuffling mm-hmm. through them like she's never, ever right. seen playing cards. Yeah, right. Like, Some of these have pictures <laughs> on them. <That's- laughs> um, but, yeah, but then Ivor Novello starts singing... And it's so great. Oh like, my gosh, it's The amazing. servants are all sort of like creeping up to kind of listen to him sing. Yeah, they're just going in anywhere and they can be hidden. Right. And hear him. And like the looks on their faces. It's, it's like Christmas. Yeah, yeah, but it's like, it looks, it has like a narcotic effect. Yeah. Like, and it's one thing that I think we can't fully appreciate and that they do a beautiful job evoking. Right. Is that they had no entertainment. Yeah. And I also mean, no music, not just entertainment, yeah, but they, the idea of not having any music on command. A you phonograph. Know? I mean, you know, whatever your job is today, you know, not always, but in many cases, if you have a crappy job cleaning up somebody else's house, yeah. you can put in your iPod. And at least right. in Downton Abbey, they had a piano in the servants' quarter that they would play and do <laughs> jigs. I've yeah. seen no piano, no jigging. The bear. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. They could get jiggy with it. Only Bertha was dancing the bear. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, and the other person who is also transported by it all uh, is. Uh, what's her name? Nesbit. Yeah, Mrs. Nesbit. Mrs. Nesbit, who is right. S- truly grateful right for everything. Piano. I she think that's just, what it is. Just yeah. truly grateful for I wish everything. I that just want to have a way. movie called Mrs. Nesbit gets a fucking break. Yeah, yeah really. Even in her enjoyment of these things, her husband keeps being like, "Oh, like how can you be so common?" Because again, Ivor Novello isn't of the nobility, mm-hmm. you know. But he's for them. He's just kind of a traveling minstrel. Like they don't give a crap. Yeah. About M- who he Maggie is. Smith wishes keeps complaining that he keeps playing. Yeah. Like, would he just stop already? <laughs> well, and Bob Balaban goes and, and sits by him. He's like, "Oh, you're going to entertain them for free?" And he's like, "Yeah, I've been. You know, I do make my living playing people like this." Yeah. And you know, just Bob Balaban can't believe that that they you know he's you know being told to dance. As a monkey, and right? These people are like getting it out of him, yeah. Mm-hmm. But you know, Ivor Novello again, he has a very healthy relationship with his British heritage, and he's like, No, this is just how it is, yeah, yeah. Well, and you know, what little respect he's afforded by these people comes from the fact that he is gracious enough to do something like this for them, yeah. And and we do also see in one of his jauntier numbers that that Jennings is basically dancing to it like oh toward there yeah toward like the end it seems like he you know nobody else is paying any attention and he's just playing for Jennings and yeah. it's fantastic mm-hmm. yeah. it's just ah oh, like it's like it's an emotional scene though yeah it's about the power of music yeah uh, but there is tension throughout oh uh, yeah because everybody knows that Emily Watson opened her big mouth right and also and her hoo-ha, yeah yeah. And, you know, and everybody else, Commander Meredith is not getting his thing and this and that. Like, I think actually Commander Meredith Some people are getting it. Some people aren't getting it. (laughs) Yeah. Rejected in this. And, of course, Sir William is off alone in his little study or whatever. He's looking at things with a magnifying glass, which I think is actually a detail lifted from the shooting party. Oh, yeah. Because that lord would frequently go off to complain and look at things with magnifying glasses. Yes. But um, Mrs. Wilson comes in. 
to give him a cup of tea, and he knocks it out of her hand and breaks the teacup. Yeah. That's a great way In to case, decline a beverage. Yeah. Next time I'm offered water at a restaurant, <laughs> just like, I'm just going to knock the pitcher out of their hands and look away. I, in case the audience wasn't aware, this guy's a jerk. Yeah. yeah. And then he tells her he wants whiskey instead. So she goes over and gives him the whiskey. He drinks it. And makes a face. He makes a face. Doesn't taste so good. Doesn't taste so good. I just assumed whiskey doesn't taste good. Oh, well, but, you know, he drinks whiskey all the time. That's Although, true. Though not bourbon, we discovered. That yes. they do not right. have bourbon. Whiskey, scotch, only no ordinary bourbon. whiskey, uh-huh. and single malt. Uh, so you would like it there. I would, yes. Um, uh-huh. Yeah, if anybody ever wants to send Tom a gift, he does love the single malt scotches. <laughs> it's true. <gasps> and then we see the lower half of somebody, like, being weird out by the shoes, and then those same shoes walking in the, like, not secret exactly, but the entrance hidden in the bookshelf to his little office. While everybody else is engrossed in the music. Right. We see a pair of we, pinstriped we saw... pants, by the way. Pinstriped yes, pants. Yes, pinstriped pants. And then the, that that figure then comes in and stabs Sir William. And pushes him back down on his table. With a knife that we previously learned was missing. Yes. The cook was trying to find it. We should also know several people have gone missing right. in the scene. Um Commander there. Meredith, Commander Meredith, out. Mr. Nesbitt, yeah, uh, Parks, aka Clive Owen, right, aka Mr. Stockbridge, and George. The mm-hmm. we haven't talked about George much. He's the footman, right? Uh, he's right. sort of kind of supercilious and and and. and He's kind of Thomasy. He is a bit. He's not gay. There is a footman. He just carries there himself a, like John yeah. Waters. There is a gay. Yeah, he does look like John Waters. Yeah. Um, there is a gay footman. Yeah. Who keeps trying to angle the job of Eva Novello's valet and keeps getting turned down. Yes. And well, he creepily touches his shoes. Like, uh, Ryan Phillippe is, like, going to polish his shoes. He's and like, hey, can I touch those? He doesn't, he doesn't he even ask. He's like, are those Eva Novello's shoes? And he's like, yeah. And he's like, yoink. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So there, there is a gay footman, but he doesn't seem to be evil much harder to tell who's evil in this movie because mm-hmm. everyone is smoking <laughs> oh my god are they smoking and no one has bangs <laughs> no one does have bangs not even hideously ugly ones yeah bangs were out the wave was in <laughs> but yeah and then uh so the i mean that's pretty much then then who who is it that discovers the body i forget lady stockbridge okay charles dance's wife yeah uh she's gone in because as we saw there might have been something going on between them right so she comes in thinking he's being an old spoil sport and then he he you know he needs to get over it and come on out and, and party with with evor mm-hmm. uh like everyone else is doing and then she's you know i think she lifts him up or like tries to sit him up. Right. She thinks and, that he's wasted and passed. Yeah. Out. Right. She thinks that he's just been drinking his whiskey. Uh, but there is a knife in his chest. Yep. So she screams and everybody comes running. Right. Uh, including which I thought was interesting. Uh, Clive Owen and Kelly McDonald. Like, mm-hmm. I I feel like in Downton Abbey you wouldn't see servants doing that necessarily. Right. I Agreed. feel like they would have waited outside the door maybe, but mm-hmm. not been bold enough to go in the room. So you can see where the class barriers have been breaking down in the intervening 12 years. It's mm-hmm. very, you know... There's some more autonomy amongst yeah. downstairs. Well, and in general, we were commenting on that, that they just, none of them care. Yeah. Like, I mean, Mrs. Wilson cares and runs her house 
But like they, you know, they like hang. They over. openly criticize their jobs. Yeah. They openly criticize they're, they're, that they don't like to yeah, be servants. Another, an, you know, another one of the servants that we haven't mentioned, that blonde guy that is, but is complaining the whole time uh-huh. about his job and how much it sucks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're not pretending to be grateful. No, like he in says that Abbey. his parents were factory workers, and he yeah. thinks that they had a better time of it than he did. Yeah, yeah. Um, Which I kind of am skeptical about. Like those yeah. early factories, people died were really crawling bad. into machines, like yeah. or, more uh, often than or not. Or like their lungs <laughs> got coated in lint. Like yeah. there was. Uh, yeah. Anyway, we yeah. The, oh, also I liked that the uh, the cooks. Yeah, because Mrs. Wilson runs a tight ship, and when she walks down the stairs, and all the assistant cooks are listening to Eva Novello, and she's like, "What are you all doing?" And Mrs. Croft is down there, and she's like, uh, "They're under my jurisdiction, and I think they can listen to this music if they want to." <gasps> Also, no, it's later, but I don't know how it'll come up, but uh, George, the footman, comes upon Bertha having sex with With, uh, uh, the guy. Lord uh, Standish? Rupert Standish? No, you know, actually, no, Standish is the suitor, Blonde is the one who has sex with Bertha. Okay. So he comes in and sees them doing it, (laughs) and, like, the guy just, like, leaves, and he's, like, very awkward. Well, he was getting dressed, Oh, that's right, they they just finished up. Mm -hmm. And George is all like, oh, my God. He's like, way to go. And she's like, you know, I can count on you to tell anybody. He's like, you're just lucky you're under Mrs. Croft, because Mrs. Wilson would have sniffed you out by now. (laughs) (laughs) She knows the smell of a used, well... <laughs> Cook. <laughs> um, so everybody is there, and Bob Balaban is on the phone, right, uh, with California, and you know, just complaining about mm. God. His life is so hard; he can't get the stars he wants. They want all these rewrites on the project, yeah. And he's he's saying like, no, they want to give all these lines to this Cockney mate. They don't say anything. Yeah, they just stand there and watch. Yeah. <laughs> So Charles Dance goes in and takes the phone, and Bob Balaban's like, I booked a call to California! This is my phone call! And Charles Dance just calmly, like a badass, because he's Charles Dance, just hangs up the phone and then calls the for the police. Yeah. And then the police arrive. <laughs> yeah. In the form of Stephen Fry, who is somebody that I love. Yes. And, and always have. And he is just... It's, it's weird, because he is kind of in another movie. The whole time. Well, but that was intentional, right? Like, because he, he he's they almost play, the music they play for his entrance <laughs> is wildly different. It's the music we mm-hmm. use for the intro yeah. on this. Yeah, it is just it is. It's completely and different. And he has music. a blatant Sherlock Holmes shout out where he's the bumbling detective. Yeah, and, you know, right. his assistant is the one asking all the right questions and being totally <laughs> dismissed. He has a. It's a very. Uh, is that what happens? It's Sherlock almost like Holmes? a bit. Isn't, no, isn't Watson? No, the, uh, no. Look, we have a lot of people who really like Sherlock. Yeah, okay. that's not. So let's. That's yeah. You won't go there. You're yeah. you're no. You're thinking of something else. You're thinking of Inspector Clouseau. Yes, yeah. Inspector okay. Clouseau. Yeah. Yes. Um, Calm down, Sherlock okay. fans. I'm Put sorry. down the Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, but it is, and I mean, it is. It is really funny. His his whole shtick with his competent assistant. Like where he's because where's this isn't like there's mud tracked in all in here and he's like they have people to clean that up constable. <laughs> <laughs> well, and and this is a bit of trivia that I picked up from IMDb, but he never actually gets to say his full name to anyone. Oh yeah, everyone's always cutting him off because uh, Kristen Scott Thomas takes him into the library where they're all still hanging out mm-hmm. with the dead body. <laughs> she's like, and she's he's like, oh I'm Inspector, but and he's you know trying to like. Say, oh, I know, someone's, you know, he's trying to observe all the pleasantries, and Kristen Scott Thomas is like, hey, this is the best thing that ever happened to me. I want to go to bed. (laughs) 
Yeah. Well, actually, he does indirectly say his full name once because he's talking at one point uh, when he's pouring tea and, like, he pours some milk in first or something. Uh-huh. But he says, oh, well, I'm so used to pouring tea for Mrs. Inspector Thompson. <laughs> <laughs> Can you, from henceforth, only refer to me as Mrs. Inspector Thompson? Done and done. Tom looks a lot like Stephen Fry. It's true. Incidentally. If you've never seen a picture of him, and I can't think why you would have. <laughs> yeah, you know, have, now that you stop. say that. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever it is you're doing. <laughs> so he gets introduced to all of the upstairs people, and that's pretty much it. Like, yeah. basically, like basically, their plot line consists of him incompetently fumbling around. Yeah. Hilariously. But- well, and, but Kristen Scott Thomas wants him to meet everybody and then leave him with the body so he can, like, examine it or whatever, and then they're all go to bed. Right. Like, she right. doesn't... She doesn't seem to think that a, a, a dead husband is a reason to... Everybody's <laughs> very over this man. The minute he's dead, yeah. they go back to the party, even. Yeah. When he walks yeah. in, I mean, there's still music on. They're lounging on the chaise mm-hmm. lounge. Mm-hmm. It doesn't the seem like a murder. Lounge. The chaise lounge. Oh, but no. it doesn't seem as though anything horrible has happened to these people. No, yeah. I mean... Um, and it hasn't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, they all hated him. Yeah. Uh, except for Lady Stockbridge, who's very upset because we see right. then everybody kind of going upstairs to, you know, get into bed and everything. So Lady Stockbridge is weeping, like violently weeping. And yeah. her husband. And, and one other person is very upset, which is Derek Jacoby, his valet. Yes, correct. Because he wants to, he wants to make him more comfortable, as he says. Uh-huh. They're questioning him in the room with the dead body and uh-huh. he wants to, like, change it and you know and that's again where the constable is like uh you really shouldn't move him and he's like oh i'm sure it won't do any harm go ahead yeah. <laughs> <laughs> some really good police he work here there's a shattered teacup and he's like there's a shattered teacup <laughs> we and better like, clean up the murder no, weapon no he's already i told you <laughs> yeah someone else will take care of it um but yes but so lady stockbridge is like weeping and Lord Stockbridge accuses her of acting Italian. And we, <laughs> we know from Maggie Smith and Downton Abbey what the Brits think of the Italian. Emotions, how tacky and yeah. Italian of you. <laughs> uh, and uh, again, it, it lends further credence to the idea that there was something, if not actually going on between them. Yeah. Well, they, they yeah, well, that may have been an actual, like, official affair. Well, and my other question is, it's interesting because of the fact that they cut cards, sort of how... Did right. one of them actually want to do it, or was their dad the one who was like, "Why don't you just cut cards for this boob? We just <laughs> need his money. Like it's not a big deal." Yeah. Uh, or you know, at what point her sort of affection for him? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, yeah. Started, but yeah. Uh, at any rate, Charles Dance is not having any of it. <laughs> Chris Scott Thomas is in her room. Her maid wants to know if she wants help getting out of her dress, and she just says no. And then Ryan Philippe asks her if she wants help getting out of her dress, <laughs> yes, and, and she, she says, says, okay. She says, life must go on. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but he drops his American, his Scottish accent and slips into his American accent, and yeah. she's like, what? Just uh, go with it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Whatever. I mean, she already knows what he's bringing to the party. Yeah. So, and it's not his voice. No, it's definitely not. Um, it's a tall glass of milk. Yes, and he actually uh, this this Wikipedia synopsis sucks. By the way, yeah. don't look at Wikipedia. <laughs> we have a sophisticated research database. It's just having when technical does difficulties. When to the butler? Well, at some point in the investigation, it because the police show up. Uh huh. 
then it has to be revealed that okay. he's living under a because false identity. Assumed, it almost seems assumed after once the event investigation. Yeah, everybody, starts. It's not everybody a huge finds revelation, out. But people right. talk about it as though they but all. But I mean, well, everybody talks about that much more than the murder. Yeah, it's that's true. the big right. news. For everybody. <laughs> well, and apparently Sir William knew about it and had this man we've all been sleeping right. with isn't Scottish. <laughs> everybody below stairs is so pissed. Yeah, Although, because I will have to say it's only ever claimed that Sir William knew about it after he was dead. That's true. Good so. point. Uh, but everybody below stairs is both making fun of him, but they're also very angry because he yeah. has not only deceived them, but you know, in their minds, made mockery of what they do. Yeah. Um, because they do still take it seriously. I mean, it, it's like having somebody come in for like take your kid to work day, yeah, and 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 be like, oh, this is you know, this is an intern. Like, turns out it was like your boss's son the whole time, and you're like, wait a minute, what? Because and Emily Watson tells him sort of later on when everyone's ignoring him because he's come down to like apologize. Yeah, and she says they're afraid that you're going to go back and tell people what they've said. And she says kindly and matter of factly to him too. You can't well, because play for both teams. Before, and she walks away, before he goes though- and and tries to hook up with Kristen Scott Thomas again the night of the murder when Emily Emily Watson is just because she has to lay low. Right. She's mm-hmm. you know she's been sacked. Right, and the only reason she hasn't left is because they don't want she's anybody detained. to leave all the yeah. Yeah. going on. It's never actually announced that she's sacked, but right. I mean, it's, I think... She's pretty okay, okay yeah. with that. Um, but so Ryan Philippe goes up there with like a bottle of whiskey, and he's like, oh, I thought you might want to drink in some company, and she's like, and oh. And by company, I mean rape. <laughs> and she's like, oh yeah, just a minute, and then she like, gets something out of a drawer and then like walks away. <laughs> yeah. And then she comes back. It's gotta have been at least like a while. A while later. Mm-hmm. Ryan Philippe's standing there nervously. Yeah. And he's like, oh, yeah. Like, hey, you're back. Like, he was waiting there for her And for she waves long. hello again to him and shuts the door in his yeah. face. Yeah. She's like, bye. Yeah. It's pretty fantastic. So. So the- Ryan Philippe can't play for both teams anymore. No. Right. He can't. Or he can't. Well, One he- thing we forgot to mention is the fact that he is also... Um, Playing for both teams, he is. He is. He is a in the lover biblical sense. of yes. Bob Balaban. Yes, because we see him the first night that they're there. Bob Balaban wants to know if he'd see him later, and and Ryan Philippe says, "Oh, I don't think that would be a good idea." Yeah, and and then Bob Balaban makes him valet for him. Yeah, it's it's a nice power play on Bob Balaban's yeah uh, part because he's like, "Oh, they'll think you don't care," <laughs> and you know it's like very important to them both that the charade go off without a hitch. Yeah. Even though it's literally the dumbest idea ever, because everybody is like, "You're not from Scotland. You've never ever." <laughs> so not before. a very good actor then. No, not at all. Yeah. Hmm. Well, he's known in Hollywood for his discretion. <laughs> <That's> right. <laughs> so yeah, so I guess then the next day, Lady Sylvia goes off for her morning ride as per usual. She which loves- is not Ryan Philippi. No, <laughs> it's that uh, horse. Again, I'm still not sure which is which. It's very hard for me to tell. Right, so, um, Kristen's called Thomas and her long lost sister go off for a ride <laughs> together. Uh, so then, um, Kelly McDonald is lighting the fire for Maggie Smith, and you know they're they're discussing whether Maggie Smith's going down for breakfast or not. And as we have learned, unmarried women in this house do not take breakfast trays in their rooms. Mm-hmm. Which is, I'm like, so they're going to, like, but she's going to hook up Phillipe, with you know? Ivor Novello? Like, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> well, Maybe uh, he's a very accommodating gentleman. Like, <laughs> it's possible. He knows which side of his butter the bread is on. <laughs> 
Anyway, so Maggie Smith decides that she is going to go down for breakfast because she doesn't want to miss all of the drama. Even though things in the house have become worse than Piccadilly. Yes, yes. It's so dangerous. <laughs> right. And she has this totally stupid chain of events that she's pieced together in her mind of how anything happened. She thinks Sir William stole the knife from the silver pantry, put it in his study, and then the thief came in and there was the knife just waiting for the thief for no reason. And I guess... Right. I guess ha- centuries of inbreeding have definitely taken their toll. Well, it has to be an outsider for her to function. Because if it's an insider, then it's all these people that she's still stuck in this house with and is stuck with forever. You know, it can't be somebody that she knows or the servant of somebody she knows because then she could never feel safe. I guess the part that sticks in my mind, though, is the fact that she thinks Sir William just took this knife for a walk. <laughs> like... He was a weird dude. He like. was a weird dude. A creepy dude, too. Mm-hmm. So maybe him walking around with a knife isn't totally out of character. I think at this point, everybody just wants the real story of the murder to be as as um, unobtrusive as possible. They just want it over with. Yeah. And they don't even care who did it. And they don't even care if they go to jail. No, I mean, <laughs> literally everyone hated him. Like, And that's what's great about this. Like, There is not really one person who's sad that he's dead. Like, I think Jennings is a little upset. Or no, or Probert, his valet. Right. Whichever one was upset. Yeah, Probert was upset. So Probert was upset, but only because I think Probert felt that he could have stopped the murder with superior valeting. <laughs> um, and look, I think we can all agree that, like on Downton Abbey, Mr. Bates totally would have jumped in front of that knife. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he wouldn't have even have been in the room. <laughs> no, we just oh, dying for you, sir. <gasps> oh, Bates. Um. So Emily Watson is talking with uh, Winona Ryder in her bedroom. Her creepy, creepy, I'm a tertiary character on my so-called life room. (laughs) It's No, she's got this huge, like, four-poster bed and just, like, dolls. It's like an episode of Hoarders. She's just got dolls everywhere. And I'm like, I think I can see why you are having so many problems. Yeah. And... I don't know whether it's just we never get it in the shot because we never see her, like, Nightmare Before Christmas poster. (laughs) (laughs) But it's got to be in there, right? (laughs) Emily the Strange. (laughs) Right. Um, But this is one of the weirdest and most interesting scenes in the movie because we think that Isabel is pregnant or was pregnant. Or something. By um, Nesbitt, Freddie. So we think she was pregnant, is pregnant by Freddie Nesbitt. Because he's been threatening to blackmail her this whole time uh, to get a job with her dad. And what could he possibly have on her? Well, that's the other thing. Because if it's just that they're having an affair, I mean, I I assumed it was just like, oh, you know, you don't want him to know and sort of like the marriage market to know that somebody's, you know, kind of been here. Right. Yeah. Right. But because she, but she's talking to Emily Watson and it turns out like Emily Watson is like her mother figure. I mean, yeah. she is like the cool stepmom. Yeah. Um, and, but you know, but it's like a, it's a stepmother thing. It's also kind of a sister thing because they're not terribly far apart in age. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, or hairstyles. Or hairstyles. <laughs> although clearly, well. Uh, well, Emily Watson doesn't quite have the same burnt perm. Yeah, but. it's just a shame that they installed electricity and Winona Ryder just went over and stuck her fingers right mm. in. Every day. They Every can't day. Stop her. She's just, no. She's like, I want it this way. I like the pain. So you couldn't have just waited 80 years for this haircut. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe, what would it have been? 70 years? 60 years? I don't, I'm not good at math. <laughs> um, but, so she's talking with 
Emily Watson about Freddie left a note on her desk and is like, oh, you know, this is your last warning. Right. Which would be a lot more threatening. Like, I'm like, have you seen this guy? Like, what's he? Come on. You could you could kill him. Right. Without a knife. <laughs> um, and, you know, basically Emily Watson is like, look, he can't really hurt you anymore. She's like, just make him go away. It's going to be fine. Yeah. And then uh, Winona Ryder asks what Emily Watson's going to do and wants to know if Emily Watson is like in trouble, which is the euphemism for being pregnant or just something like that. And she asks her this as she's sitting there smoking yeah. a cigarette. God, Emily Watson <laughs> in this movie. Yeah. I'm, I'm starting to see what you see in her. Yeah. Right. All right. <laughs> you have fine taste in British independent actresses. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, but Winona Ryder says to Emily Watson, you were much cleverer than I was. Mm. And so to me, and it's just never stated explicitly, I mean, Winona Ryder's whole story happens off screen. Right. right. We barely see anything that happens. Yeah. Even as we kind of understand some of the implications of it. But so to me, either she is pregnant, and if she is pregnant, she's just pregnant. Right. Like, she is barely pregnant. Right. Or she got pregnant in the past, and Emily Watson, using her awesome, cool stepmom powers, <laughs> took her to get an abortion somewhere. Um, Piccadilly. In Piccadilly. <laughs> <gasps> so yeah, it's it's. I th- I think I really think that that's what's going on. Mm-hmm. Thoughts? Yeah, I mean Emily Watson certainly seems to have managed to have her affair without getting pregnant. You know, I'm not sure what um, methods she resorted to, but... Well, that would be a great episode for uh, Fashion Backwards, contraception. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm. yeah. So I, I think that I... Sorry, I just was like, I don't want to think about them having sex. Oh, yeah, you really don't. <laughs> That's He's dead now. It's fine, babe. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. She's all yours. <laughs> she seemed to really like that, too. That was what was the most what, bad bothersome. Him? Sir William, yeah. Look, and because literally everybody else, like everything you hear about him, he's horrible. Yeah. Horrible man. Terrible man. Right, but Bad even but person. even but even physically, I mean, who cares what a human being is like? He's not even attractive. <laughs> right. That's, no, yes. Oh uh, yeah, Michael yeah. Gambon is hideous, and I hate him. I don't think I've made this clear uh, uh, up to this point, but now that his character is dead, I just want to say he's a terrible actor. I don't like his face, and he was a bad Dumbledore. I said it. I said it. I finally got it off my chest. I know Richard Harris was dead, but come on. They made that Simone movie. How hard could it be? <laughs> Sorry, Harry Potter fans. <laughs> oh, no. I think there's a distinct minority out there that agrees with me. I've never met mm-hmm. any. <laughs> but, this, but in my dreams, this, they're this out there. This podcast has taught me <laughs> that there are people out there who share my angry, angry thoughts about <laughs> British film. <laughs> You're understated, barely detectable angry oh, thoughts yes. about Oh, yes. British I film. keep yeah. it under wraps. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So then it's breakfast, right? Yeah, it's breakfast. Yeah. Let's have some breakers. Let's have some tomato and egg. <laughs> Ugh, mm. Who eats that? Gross. British who has people. it served to them? Oh, yes. <laughs> right. Oh, yes. Yeah, because Bob Balaban just asks Jennings for a tomato and egg. Seemingly a natural request for him to make. Well, and he's so oblivious because... You can see literally everyone is going to the buffet and coming back with their food. Right. But he's just been on the phone 
screaming fuck Clara Bow for like <laughs> 20 minutes. So. Oh, Clara Bow. Oh, my God. She was the original Emily Watson. <laughs> she was. <laughs> it's true. No, but just Bob Balaban in like his last couple scenes in this movie. I mean, he is just the MVP yeah. mm-hmm. of this movie. He's phenomenal. Yeah. But so he asked Jennings for food and Jennings is like, uh, great. Why don't you... Perhaps you would prefer to pick it out yourself. Yes. And, and he says, oh, like a cafeteria. <laughs> <laughs> like the Golden Corral? And, uh, Charles Dance's selective uh, deafness has not kicked in yet. Uh, and so he says, oh, you know, an Englishman... Uh, or is, an Englishman is never waited on at uh, breakfast. Yeah, so... And- <laughs> Balaban says, oh, well, that's very interesting because, you know, an American is. <laughs> for which I would like to personally, if you don't mind, give him five Maggie Smiths for out-snobbing <laughs> uh-huh. Maggie Smith yeah. and leaving Maggie Smith at the table with her jaw on the counter. Yeah. <laughs> that was, oh, that was a beautiful moment. She's no fan of his, but I think, yeah. you know... Even in that moment, I think she had a little bit of the, the look on her face. You could almost tell, just even as an actress, she was trying to inject some respect in there. Because even though he had insulted her and her traditions, he had outsnobbed her. And I think that she just had a secret little respect in that moment of, well played. <laughs> yeah. Game recognized game. <laughs> it's true. So, you know, although, wouldn't he have been at breakfast before? Was he always getting a tray while Ryan Phillippe... Valeted him. <laughs> what a great morning. Breakfast <laughs> <laughs> in bed, Ryan Phillippe. Let's do this thing. <laughs> I know I, what I want for my birthday. I, I mean, he hasn't been getting much work. We'll, we'll see what we can do. <laughs> I'll show him the way of the gun. Ryan Phillippe, are you listening? <laughs> we've got a job you know for what? you. Of all the celebrities we've asked if they're listening, he, I think, statistically is the most likely. <laughs> so I'll say it again. Ryan Phillippe, are you listening? <laughs> He just sits next to a pillow shaped like Reese Witherspoon all day. Don't we all? <laughs> I don't. <laughs> um, so Inspector Thompson comes in. He blunders in in his British ineffectual fashion. <laughs> right. And he wants to know where uh, Lady Sylvia is. As we know, she has biffed off to go ride her horse. Yes. And he's like, oh, real? Like she's doing that? Today and everybody stares blankly back. They're all at like, him. "Look, just because Sir William's dead is no reason what, you to haven't disrupt moved? our weekend." <laughs> yeah, like, you haven't moved on. Yeah, they're like, "Really? You're still talking about this?" <laughs> what you want our horses to get out of shape? <laughs> <laughs> and by horses, we mean Kristen's got time. <laughs> right. Uh, so he's like at a loss for a minute. He's just like, "Oh, hey, Lady Trentham, why don't I ask you some questions?" And she is so offended. Yeah, she's like, "I don't see why." you would want to talk to me or what I could possibly do. (laughs) Uh, But, you know, she agrees because it would, you know, she makes sure that he knows. We must all pull our way in these dark times. It's really no wonder they never figured out who Jack the Ripper is because these British people will not submit to questioning. (laughs) So, and like downstairs, they all have a great laugh. Excuse me, sir. You seem to be covered with prostitute blood. (laughs) I'm sorry. I have an urgent appointment right now. I can't. <laughs> well, shame that. <laughs> Pity. <laughs> so downstairs, we see a couple things. We see the adorable Clive Owen being melancholy and feeding a dog, yes. which... Oh, my God, you guys. Melt. <laughs> oh, my God. He's so adorable. And he overhears Bertha 
and I think a nameless servant. Yeah. Oh, good for you, Julian, fellas. <laughs> those nameless servants in all over the place. That's right. So Bertha's explaining that... As Sir, they carry some dead pheasants. Yes, which is... It's a nice little nod yeah. to what they did yesterday, mm-hmm. which was shoot a bunch of pheasants and Sir William died. <laughs> um, but he overhears him saying that, in fact, Sir William was not stabbed to death. He was poisoned and then stabbed after the fact, which is something that literally... No one at any point goes, oh, maybe there are two people right. who tried it. Bertha's <laughs> like, just like, yep, yeah, that's weird, but hey, he's dead, so whatever. <laughs> yeah. Nobody liked him. And, and nobody and, wants to complicate this crime any more than it already is for yeah, existing like, in the Yeah, like this is already <laughs> a ton of extra work for the service to have all these people here. Yeah. And everybody just wants to go. Yeah. Because, you know, the gravy train has now ended <laughs> right. uh, with Sir William's death. Uh, so Clive Owen overhears this and looks intrigued. And I think the deleted scene after this was when he went off to sleep with Bertha then. <laughs> Don't you ever say that. I'm sorry, Clive Owen. <laughs> what if Clive Owen and Ryan Phillippe have parties where they listen to Up Yours downstairs? Together. <laughs> wear pajamas and break each other's mustaches. <laughs> That's what guys do at sleepovers, right? Yeah, totally. Okay, cool. So then we have Thompson interviewing Maggie Smith and Kelly McDonald comes in. Right. Did I skip something? No. Okay. Did I stutter? <laughs> Carry on. <laughs> and so Callie McDonald comes in and she's like, really? Me? You mean th- this one? Me? Okay. And Maggie Smith is like, seriously? Why are you interviewing her? You already talked to me. I'm the main attraction. Yeah. And she's like, well, I'm not leaving. And they're like, oh, of course not. Yeah. Like, Which is totally... Right. Like, is anybody even paying attention to British law enforcement <laughs> at this time? Like, come on. But so he's just like, oh, hey, did you know about any of this tension between your employer and Sir William? And Kelly McDonald's like, what tension? What allowance? I don't know. <laughs> snitches get stitches. I'm not doing this. Right. And Thompson incorrectly believes that she is, you know, being honest. Yeah. So it, it really works out for everyone. Everyone gets what they want out of this scene. Yeah. Well done. You've all achieved your objective. <laughs> Stanislavski would be so proud. <laughs> um. And throughout all of his interrogation scenes, Inspector Thompson keeps, like, putting his fingerprints on everything. Yeah. And, like... Oh, and throwing away key evidence. Yeah, throwing away evidence. And, you know, the constable is like, hey, there's all this mud over here. And a coffee cup. I think we already talked about that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But But it's it's still hilarious. It's it's very enjoyable. (laughs) Servant will clean that up. Yeah. And that's why OJ's innocent. (laughs) 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 <laughs> those gloves oh the maid will dispose of those <laughs> they didn't fit him anyway uh, so then we see Barnes who is one of the footmen I think or is he a valet he's the ginger one right right I think he's a valet I'm just trying to think what we see him do ever I don't know yeah anyway Barnes Barnes is talking with the inspector and he is you know saying that he overheard Commander Meredith tell Lady Lavinia that it was lucky that Sir William died because now he can't renege on this investment that he made Mm -hmm. in their business venture, which I still don't know what it is. Right, because it's not... One of them's venture is boots and sedan. Okay. One of the the ventures was being the supplier of boots to the Sudanese army. Uh, Oh. I think that's what... That seems like a morally ambiguous thing to be doing. (laughs) 
<laughs> uh, everybody okay, so then that, Meredith is doing that. Okay, yeah. And then, okay, and so then at the end, Freddie tries to glom on to mm-hmm. that, and he says, oh, I know all about the Sudan. Right, because he, he knows about foreign exchange. Yes. That's, he's the expert, he tells everybody. He's also apparently the expert at getting people pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I'm going to write a fan fiction about that plot line. It's going to be called Winona Ryder's Right to Choose. Um, <laughs> well, look for it on the internet in 1998. <laughs> on my Angel Fire website. That's right. Join my, uh, what were they called? Rings? Oh, yeah. Like blog rings? Yeah, blog yeah. rings. Get, oh, on my, get on my Gosford You're Park blog ring. Way back. <laughs> I just gave everyone a flashback. So many cups of coffee were just dropped. (laughs) Um, Anyway, so then Inspector Thompson also uh, interrogates uh, Meredith, and Meredith is like, no, man, I didn't, you know, yeah, it might have been lucky, but I didn't kill anyone. Right. Um, (laughs) It's it's totally like a Law and Order scene. (laughs) It's like, look, I didn't like the guy, but I never killed him. (laughs) Can I go? I got a lot of work to do here. <laughs> <laughs> got to make some boots in the Sudan. <laughs> so then we get a wonderful scene in the kitchen with Mrs. Croft, old sourpuss Mrs. Croft. Yeah. Like if ever anyone looked like she had just eaten a sack of lemons oh, right. and just never used moisturizer, it would be Mrs. Croft. Yeah. But, you know, then she went on to be part of a successful folk rock duo in, in – <laughs> talked about the summer breeze so it all worked out yeah um <laughs> brought joy to millions <laughs> millions i would say thousands possibly a hundred but again i'm bad at math so mrs croft is talking in the kitchen to bertha about how everyone hated sir william because he was a bad man yeah who in his factories employed primarily women and basically raped them systematically. And if you got pregnant, you either kept the baby and lost your job or you gave the baby up for adoption and, you know, you got to keep your job and presumably continuing to get raped. Right. Because things are great for women Yeah. Uh, back in the early parts of the Edwardian period. Mm-hmm. This is this is what we don't get to see on Downton Abbey. <laughs> right. All of the factory rape. Right. Um <laughs> That I, you know, I, I'm not sure that the fan base of Downton Abbey would appreciate it if it started featuring more factory rape. Yeah, that's really more of an HBO thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, the factory. Uh, I kind of want to write that incidentally. <laughs> yeah. That would be fantastic. Yeah, wow. Yeah. Write it down. Uh, write it listen, down. I own that. <laughs> I get 10%. <laughs> you gotta wet your beak. <laughs> Well, don't worry. We established over on Borzgor and Swords that I am going to be the president of HBO someday. <laughs> well, all right. So I think, I think we can work something out. Excellent. Anyway, Mrs. Croft knows all of this stuff because, oh, guess what? She is one of the factory workers who got raped and had a baby. Yeah. I don't think she tells them that explicitly, but she tells Inspector Thompson when he is questioning her. Right. And he picks up, she's got a photograph of a baby and he's like, oh, he's like, what a bunny dad. What's he up to now? And she's like, he's He's dead. dead. (laughs) And he's like, oh. Wow, you have no tact, do you? (laughs) I was just trying to be nice. (laughs) Yeah. You could have been like, he's composting, but. (laughs) 
Yeah, so we find out that things were things were bad. They weren't cool. Yeah. And yeah, a woman, namely these ones. Yeah, I'm I'm extremely happy that Sir William is dead. <laughs> right. I just I'm putting that mm-hmm. out there. Uh, I th- yeah, I'm with a, the entire cast of the movie. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's a great blow for humanity. Yes. Yes. This man clearly needed to be stopped. He was yeah. a munitions guy. He was a rapist. He was mean to everyone, including his dog. We can only yeah. hope that he felt the stabbing. The poison hadn't quite set it <laughs> And that he did at least feel... His heart still trying to pump the coagulated blood. His <laughs> dying of poison like, well, at least things can't get any worse. <laughs> <laughs> but at least I died looking on the beautiful visage of Glyve Owen. <laughs> uh, what's great about that scene, this is my favorite part, and I didn't notice it until I watched it a second time. Mm-hmm. In the background, through the window that looks into the kitchen, Clive Owen and Helen Mirren are having a conversation. Really? Yes. It is the best Easter egg ever. You didn't tell us this. I know. I wanted to surprise you on air so your reactions would be genuine. That. (laughs) Man. No, that's, I mean, that's what's just amazing about Altman in this movie. No. But what could they have possibly been talking about? I, valet shit, man. Just, he had a question about how the house is run. And, and that's it. Well, and there's another scene, because, spoiler alert, Helen Mirren poisoned him, and then Clive Owen stabbed him. Right. Because I feel like we're kind of going to have yes. to talk Let's about that. dance around it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> this is what happened. Boom! Spoiler. <laughs> um, and only Kelly McDonald figures it out. Yeah. So Clive Owen and Helen Mirren are having They're a having conversation, a conversation just, and it's because, you know, in, in the tale that's just been woven... I just want to look at Helen Mirren's face now, uh-huh. because he, yeah. of course, doesn't know anything you at actually, this point. But. You can't see their faces. Mm-hmm. They're, they're out, out of focus, and the, the glass in the windows is period, so it's very, like, wavy. Right, mm-hmm. And right. so you can't really see what's going on. But then there's another scene that comes up very quickly where Inspector Thompson is in talking with the servants and Helen Mirren comes in and asks, oh, when are these people leaving? You know, Mrs. Croft has to arrange all the meals and she is acting guilty as fuck. Yeah. She is acting so guilty. She's like rubbing her hands together and like her face is totally calm, but just you can hear it in her voice. There's this anxiety of, right. you need to go, you need to go. I don't want to get caught. Right. And... You know, I will say for Clive Owen, he may have failed to actually murder Sir William, <laughs> but he's playing it off way better. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. true. Than Helen Mirren is. I mean, he's. I mean, he seems relieved, whereas she seems put upon. And I mean, well, just because in general, nobody's even asked him a single question. Just in general, he's you know as cool as the other side of the pillow. Like, yeah, he's, oh, he sure is. Yeah, <laughs> you want to be my pillow, Clive? <laughs> <laughs> The Clive Owen body pillow coming to <laughs> coming soon. Three easy payments of seventy nine ninety nine. Sold. I'll take three. Do I get a complimentary Grady no. for my cheese? You really should brand this merchandise. <laughs> the Clive Owen body pillow. Yeah, well, it's it's a matching pair with Ryan Philippe's Reese Witherspoon body pillow, <laughs> or the Ryan Philippe uh, Snuggie. <laughs> What is that even? I'm trying to like... A picture of Ryan Philippe hugging you. Is it? Or is it just his naked body? I think I'd want to be Ryan Philippe, you know? Like a Ryan Philippe skin? Yeah. <laughs> That's a little creepy. This is... You know what, guys? Let's get back Ryan to Ryan Philippe, I hope you're not listening anymore. <laughs> I hope you guys have like gotten into a pillow fight or, or like, you know, putting people's fingers in warm water. Um, so... 
in all of this, uh, Kelly McDonald has been kind of skulking around the edges, paying attention and listening. Right. She noted uh, Clive Owen's absence when the murder took place. Uh, and he also, in classic sort of I'm trying to bang you fashion, he like basically told her he was going to kill him, but like very vaguely. You yeah. know, he's like, hey, I killed this guy to impress you. <laughs> <laughs> Which, done and done, Clive Owen. <laughs> yeah. I hate Michael Gambon. We were impressed. <laughs> yeah. Where and when. But so she... Oh, God, that's like at night. That's jumping ahead, but like whatever. Yeah, whatever. So after dinner that night, which we'll go back to dinner yeah, and yeah. the upstairs people, but she goes up to his room because she's just kind of like been paying attention to what everybody's been saying because she overheard... Um, no, she's just suspicious. Isn't that after she hears the conversation between Chris and Scott Thomas? I thought that too, but no, that's when she figures out that Helen Mirren is his mom. Okay. Because she hasn't put that together yet. All she's put together is that Clive Owen stabbed Sir William. Mm -hmm. That's all she knows. So she goes up to his room and she says, when you said that you would surprise me, like, Mm -hmm. did you mean you were going to stab someone? Because generally that's not... It's surprising. It is. I, I was I, very surprised. Nobody you, saw that one coming. You got me. You <laughs> did get me. But she, you know, she's upset because she is attracted to him. And she's not like, she doesn't seem like she's judging him. And then he totally kisses her on the mouth. Yeah. And it's awesome. He's like, I've been wanting to do that since I first laid eyes on you. And I'm like, you and me both. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very gratifying scene, both for the male and the female viewer. Yeah. It's uh it's it's what was meant to be. It's yes. very nice. No, but it's great because it's weird, like because you don't know it until this moment, but Kelly McDonald's character has a real like moral complexity mm-hmm. because she's not willing to just write this guy off because he killed someone <laughs> in cold blood. Yeah. <laughs> Which to me is like aw <laughs> You remind me of me. <laughs> Tom, is there something you're not telling us? <laughs> oh shh. <laughs> Why do we do this live? <laughs> Listen, Sam. If, if I disappear <laughs> after this episode, all I'm saying, viewers. <laughs> you know, we'll just edit that out, right? right. Damn it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Listen, Sam. If there's something I'm not telling you, then I'm not telling you. That's yeah. how it works. He doesn't need to impress you the way Clive Owen needed to impress Kelly McDonald. Right. Color me terrified. <laughs> <laughs> So all of the rich people are, like, having dinner and whatnot, except for Commander Meredith, who, <laughs> who Dorothy surprises sitting in the dark eating jam. Right. Like you do. <laughs> I do it. I do it frequently. From the jar. From, from the jar with yeah. a spoon. Usually when I do that, I'm, I also have a bottle of wine and I'm on my kitchen floor, maybe Question, crying. <laughs> when did germ theory become accepted? Oh. Because he's, mean, he's tainting the jam. After, is this after Louis Pasteur? I think, I mean, I think it is. Um, well, then Commander Meredith is acting very irresponsibly. He One is. person is already dead. He, Has the uh, specter look, of the Do we need to spoil floral? the jam as well? What is this? Piccadilly <laughs> Square. <laughs> look, dude wanted some jam. I don't know what to tell you. Uh, but anyway, he's surprised by Dorothy, who's... Oh my goodness. Poor Dorothy. <laughs> no one on this show is a friend of Dorothy. Uh, or this movie. Pardon. Right. <laughs> but Dorothy is very upset because she was sewing the morning armbands for the outside staff. And Jennings came in and he was all like, oh, Dorothy, your name is Dorothy and you're doing the armbands. <laughs> and she was like, I love you. 
which is so awkward. He yeah. didn't kick mud in her face, he so she loves no, him. No, because she's like, "Have you have you talked to the police again? Because I'll say anything, you know, anything at all." And he's he's just like, "It's like oh well, oh no." He says nothing. He actually, no, he actually yeah. looks down. Sorry, that was his internal problem. <laughs> no, he just. He closes the door and he walks clears away. It, he clears his yeah. throat and looks down, totally embarrassed for her. <laughs> I don't know, though. Sometimes that's the kindest way. Yeah. That's the nicest thing that anybody said to her the entire movie. <laughs> Nothing. He looked yeah. down, cleared his throat, and walked away. <laughs> I thought that was very kind of him. He's a kind so, man. So she's come down into into the servants' area, and and <laughs> and... He's just like, oh, I'm probably in your way. But like in a tone of voice, it's like, I'm not leaving until I eat more of this jam. <laughs> he's like, how much jam do you got? Because, you know, he's very upset because he's, you know, he's been suspected it's, in a murder. Like, It's just, it's really a tragedy because he'd been jam free for three years <laughs> at that point. And then. He had his chip. <laughs> yep. <laughs> well, and he couldn't get on the phone with his sponsor because Bob Balaban was bad mouthing <laughs> Clara Bow all night. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, Dorothy is not really paying attention to him, although she does offer him a jam that she particularly likes. So probably Dorothy's no stranger to sitting alone in the dark eating jam. She's although, like, I've been there myself. Yeah. Uh, and she, you know, he's just complaining. He's like, it's not fair. Some people get everything they want, and I don't get anything. Like, what have you been doing for the past, you know, your past lifetime? That's been the You're way You're wearing of this a tuxedo <laughs> while you eat jam in the dark. Like... <laughs> Fuck off. That's everyone's dream. (laughs) I've never done that. Oh, you must. (laughs) Where do you do it? Like Crate and Barrel in the basement or like... No, William-Sonoma. I'm sorry. William-Sonoma. William-Sonoma. I worked hard. Uh I went to college. I've never done that. (laughs) Well, Tom, what's really important if you listen to Dorothy is just find somebody and just love them. Like, not even... Find someone who loves you back. <laughs> right. <laughs> just find that person and just just love the fucking shit out of them, man. Yeah. Don't say anything until you do. And then don't say anything ever again. Yeah. And just sort of look at them. And and be... <laughs> that's like how I would... That's, that's Dorothy. My impression of Dorothy is just... <laughs> That's actually very. That's actually a very good impression. That's what she sounds like. <laughs> Most of her lines. Yeah. Every time she talks, I want to be like, "Go to speech therapy." <laughs> You're fine. Just get some self confidence. Anyway, this has a tremendous effect on good old Commander Meredith, who <laughs> runs runs in the corridor. <laughs> yeah. Up to the drawing room because uh, we don't see dinner. I don't believe. Right. But we do see everybody in the drawing room entertaining themselves. Uh, to bring you up to speed on what these people have been doing. So Ryan Philippe is now one of them, uh, except that he's not. Yeah. And we didn't talk about this scene, but it's awesome. I feel like that's like the title of this podcast. We didn't talk about this scene, but it was awesome. Trust us. Um, he goes back downstairs, presumably to try to have sex with something. Um, <laughs> but he's stopped by Barnes, who... I guess has a bigger presence in the back half of this movie because when yeah. I saw his name on the synopsis, I was like, who? <laughs> right. Barnes goes up to him and he's like, uh, I'm sorry, sir. This is the servants area. 
Yeah, your area is up right through that door there. You must have gotten confused. Yes. Yeah. And so Ryan Phillippe's like, Barnes, come on. Come we on, were, bro. Come on, bro. I'm just, it's fine. I'm just, I like you guys. And like literally every male servant comes up and says, uh, thank I think like actually like the dressing gong gets rung or something. Yeah, and they're yeah. saying, oh. Sorry, sir. It's time for dinner, sir. And like, even like Clive Owen gets a dig in there, and like they all just like walk right past him, and it's amazing. Yeah. And then he like, he, at last, only Emily Watson is there because she's come down to find more reading materials because she's you know sequestered right. up in her room like Eleanor of any, Aquitaine. She doesn't have any work to do. No, so. she has nothing to do. Yeah. So she can just sit on the stairs and watch people make fun. (laughs) Anyway, so he's mad. He's like, how come nobody likes me? And she's like, well, they're afraid you're going to repeat things that they said. And then that's when he says, "Uh, but, you know, I'm very discreet. That's what I'm known for in Hollywood. And she's like, well, this ain't Hollywood. This is Gosford Park, bitch. (laughs) Well, because he leans in on her. He does. And she's like, (laughs) He is just no. He's incorrigible. He just he he is never not fucking like he or at least trying. Yeah. But at the same he's time, like, I've oh. never seen Ryan Philippe also not get any. Yeah, that's true. He's extremely unsuccessful. So this, yeah. Really playing against type here, yeah. Ryan mm-hmm. Philippe. Generally, mm-hmm. he is there. He really stepped out of his role. You know. <laughs> well, and we were talking um, about how great he is in this though, because he so does not belong in this movie. <laughs> Every person who belongs in this, or everyone who's in this movie, is an actor with a capital A. And Ryan Philippe is like a Seventeen magazine pinup. Like, you know, yeah. But you know, it almost fits the role. It's no, the role exactly itself. because yeah. he's just he's so awkward and terrible. And just like every scene where he walks in to any room now with either the upstairs or the downstairs people, just everybody's like, mm, I hate you. Uh, so it almost he, makes you not hate him for being in this movie, though, just because oh no, you know, I, everybody. I I'm mean, not he, saying, he is I, great. I love him for being in this yeah, movie. I right. think it, I think he was extremely lucky, and I I think that he probably had a really great time. Yeah, and probably and, again and he does, he it, talks about was, it a lot with his Reese Witherspoon body pillow. <laughs> yeah. And, well, yeah. Well, you know, you can't hate on Ryan Philippe for being in any movie. Oh but, yeah, you yeah. Know. But you know, yeah, what but have really, I ever you, done? You, if, if, if you did want to be, you know, upset that everybody else is so a list and you know has done so much, and then you see Ryan Philippe, if you wanted to be mad, they're all so mean to him. Yeah. They turn him down for sex so much that you really can't hate on him. <laughs> he doesn't get what he wants. Stanislavski is disappointed in you. <laughs> so he's up in the drawing room badgering Jennings, and he's like, "No, uh, no coffee for me, Jennings. I want, you know," or he's asking for bourbon. And this is England. Yeah. That's a Kentucky thing. Oh, right. Go back to America. Yeah. And and so Jennings is like, oh, you know, we have single malt or we have whiskey. And he's like, or ordinary whiskey. I think so. And he's like, well, uh, uh, ordinary for me. I'm just an American. And I'm like, everyone knows. Quit talking. (laughs) And uh, Maggie Smith is off playing bridge again with Freddie and Charles Dance and somebody else is there. Yeah. Someone who apparently makes no impression whatsoever. With Commander Meredith's wife, right? Oh, you're right. Because then, after the jam conversation, Meredith swoops in yeah, and he kisses strides his wife in passionately, who's in the middle of bridge. And Maggie Smith just folds up her cards and slams him down on the table. She's so annoyed. <laughs> She's like, we do not have public displays of affection. It's worse than Piccadilly. <laughs> and um, Mrs. Nesbitt comes in. 
and she hasn't packed another dress. I'm assuming because this is they're not all supposed to be here anymore right. at this point. They were all supposed to, to now they're detained. Yeah. And she only packed enough dresses for the time she was supposed to be there because that's what middle class people do, mm-hmm. as I could tell you. Yeah. But so she comes in and Maggie Smith says, "Oh." No need to wear a new dress every night. We're not a fashion parade. And Mrs. Nesbitt turns and looks at her and she's like, I wouldn't want to be. And then she just like stalks over to hang out with Ivor Novello, who just, he doesn't talk to anyone. He just plays the piano. Yeah. You get the feeling that at this point she's given up on trying to impress any of these people and she's just relishing in the Yeah, the I mean, she has, she's given up. I mean, she can't, just, mm-hmm. you know, her husband's a jerk. These people hate her. And I think she's kind of come to this place where she understands that, this is her life now. Like good, yeah. good for her for owning it and trying to find some piece of joy mm-hmm. and just ignoring all these people who tr- are treating her horribly anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, and you know, Ivor Novello will be nice to her. So mm-hmm. hey. why the hell not? Yeah. yeah. Um. So at, the bridge game is broken up due to the uh, display of, of love. <laughs> right. So clearly, don't take advice from Dorothy. <laughs> I think that's the message we can all take away from this movie. Emotions ruin bridge. <laughs> Uh, and we get a kind of a shot because uh, Mrs. Nesbitt is saying, oh, this song used to make me cry. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, uh, used to? Yeah. Mm. <laughs> but she sees Winona Ryder writing a check out to Freddie. Right. And again, I don't know, because usually the man gives the woman money for an abortion, right? Traditionally. Well, she, I don't know the etiquette on this, but. It's just all, yeah, but a woman gives a man money for blackmail. Viewers, yeah. how do you pay for your abortions? <laughs> um. Yeah, so anyway, but so she's she's buying them off. Right. With a sum of money, which for some reason I feel like is $5,000. I don't know if they ever say that, but to me, Euros, if I was ever dollars. going to blackmail someone, it would be for $5,000. <laughs> All right. Uh, although, adjusted for inflation, it was quite a bit more yeah. back then. <laughs> anyway, so he takes the check, and they've had you know a row, clearly, about it. Yeah. And he comes back in, and Mrs. Nesbitt wants to know what he's got. And then he tears up the check because, right. like, they have this fight about it. And he's like, oh, here, try buying a new frock with that. Isn't this the man Putting who's desperate Putting salt in a fresh money? wound because yeah. clearly she needs one. Yeah. He's the one who's desperate it for makes, money and a job. It makes me just really sad, just, you know, it being a recession right now. And, <laughs> you know, just watching a man desperate for money tear up a check. That was really, I mean, maybe I'm a greedy person, but that was, that was, they've been just, one of the but hardest But you know what, knowing him, he'll probably have her write him a new one. Right. Yeah, that's true. You know, it just didn't like, make sense to me. He was like, so listen, desperate for money the entire time. When I said write time. me a check, I meant write me a check, not in front of my wife. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? I have read a lot of novels. <laughs> so I think I know a thing or two about conducting an affair. <laughs> and these people really suck at it. Yeah. Like, Ryan Philippe would have been fine if he had just stopped at, at either Bob Balaban or Chris and, and he, Scott and Thomas. And you know what? Ryan yeah. Philippe kept it in the bedroom. He did. He did at least keep it in the bedroom. Because Unlike Bertha. In this scene, he sits down next to Chris and Scott Thomas, and I just expect him to, like, you know, just shoot a hand over to her thigh or something like that. I'm yeah. like, dude, quit giving Americans a bad name. You're very gauche. But he, he does the same move that he does with everybody as servant or non-servant, regular dude. Uh, but he always does this like lean no, because, in well, because he does and say, say something that like you should. Always, yeah. yeah. Like it's always like he's like listen to how clever I am and everybody's like go away. Like me that time. <laughs> no, but he leans into her and he says I must say your guests sleep in much more comfortable beds than your servants. And, like, 
the look on Kristen Scott Thomas's face is classic because it's just so withering. And she's like, number one, duh. Number two, are you still talking about that? Because we've all agreed to ignore the fact that you lied to us for three days. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And also you. Mm-hmm. Like, and number three, ride it. Oh, and when he comes into breakfast in that douchey sweater. <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't feel like I, I, you know, I can't identify, like, what douchebag fashion is. But that <laughs> sweater was super douchey. <laughs> There's another fashion backwards for you, douchery yeah. through the yeah, years. Yeah, douchery through the years. <laughs> How could you tell what the equivalent of someone wearing an Ed Hardy t-shirt is? Right. <laughs> um, so he's there. He's sitting on the on the sofa. You know, things have kind of broken up overall in terms of people doing group type things. And uh, George comes in. He's the the valet that looks like. Um, Oh, John Waters. Yeah, John Ooh. Waters, the valet. John Waters makes his guest footman. appearance, yeah. Yes. <laughs> uh, all that's missing is the mustache. Yeah. And so Ryan Phillippe is like, oh, no coffee for me, George. And George just straight up drops a coffee cup in his lap. Yeah. Like, he plays it off perfectly. And Ryan Phillippe, again, goes, you son of a bitch! You did that on purpose! And, like, everybody is like, number one, duh. And number two, are we still talking about this? Wait, he says, shall I fetch you a towel, mm-hmm. sir? And then he grabs a pillow and puts it in front of his crotch. And I'm like, that is an expensive pillow. Get it away from your coffee-scented penis. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so he runs off with his dignity very much wounded. Yeah. Although it's amazing it's taken him this long to realize everyone's laughing at him. And Maggie Smith just loses it. Yeah. She's reading Country Life <laughs> newspaper on the couch. Does she actually laugh in this scene? Yes. Oh, yeah. Out loud? Like, There's like a 30-second shot of her being unable to stop. There, you don't even see anybody else's right. reaction. I don't think I've heard Maggie Smith laugh since the end of Sister Act 1. <laughs> <laughs> How have I'm not we even not sure if she talked lacked. about Sister Act more on this podcast? That's an excellent, excellent question. Oh, my God. Well, you know, moving forward. <laughs> <laughs> now you know. Now I know. Uh, no, and we don't even see anybody else's reaction, but she just... Yeah, she cannot nope. stop. It's fantastic. It's the best. It's it's the fa- her favorite moment. It's, it's gifalicious. Yeah. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, at this point, pretty much everybody goes to bed. And at that point, that's when Kelly McDonald goes and, and talks to Clive right. Owen. I don't think anything else much interesting happens overnight this time. No murders to speak of. Yeah. No. There is one thing. John Waters is downstairs going to get uh, shoes for Commander Meredith, I believe. Yeah. And he walks in on the friend of the blonde guy trying to hook up with Winona Ryder and Bertha. So I guess now we know who Bertha is uh, stupping in, yeah. in the kitchen. And so, like, the guy is, like, you know, he's putting his clothes back on, so it wasn't like he they were in the middle of things. But right. he comes out and... Uh, I, he says something to to John Waters. Yeah. But then John Waters is like, uh, "Sir, I think you'll find this staircase is the <laughs> easiest way out." And he's like, "Oh, thank you." And he wants to know his name. He's like, "George." <laughs> I'm the one who doesn't tell anybody that you you were exploring Big Bertha. <laughs> so then he goes in, and it's such a great scene because. He goes in and he just is like, oh my God, Bertha, you're so awesome. And she's like, I know. <laughs> yeah. I know they have their little congratulatory moment. No, it's, you it's know. fantastic. Because, yeah. I mean, that guy, he's a get. He's a get for somebody like Bertha. Mm-hmm. For anyone, really. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Call me that guy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. You probably don't look like that anymore. Um, also, though, we should note that the blonde guy was like, 
talking to Winona Ryder at some point before or after the blackmail uh, and saying, I know this is a hard time, but I really need to know. I don't know if he wants to know like the particulars of her situation or if he's trying to like get an answer out of her. Mm-hmm. Like the level of their courtship and sort of where they are in negotiations is kind of unclear as right. everything is unclear mm-hmm. with her. Yeah. But we did see that happen. So yeah. just, Hey, that happened everybody in <laughs> case you missed it. Mm-hmm. This movie is very dense and layered. Yes. So the next morning, everybody's kind of shipping out. That's when we see uh, Nesbitt talking to Meredith about being his his expert uh, in his business venture in the Sudan. Right. Uh, because I, I guess we missed it, but Stephen Fry did uh, blunder into the servant's kitchen the other day and was like, oh, I'm sure everything's – we don't need anyone else. We're not going to talk to the servants. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and don't worry. I'll get the – I'll find the one who did this. We always do. Yeah, and then yeah. That's, that's it's well, unbelievable. Actually, I think that's in the morning maybe. Is it? A- maybe. But then I there's also the, the scene before, with but- the constable because they said right. something about, you know, if anybody has any secrets and there was like this ominous – Close up on Derek Jacoby, and I'm like, no, don't talk about Cyrano de Bergerac. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but we get this. Ah, there's so many good scenes in this movie, and so many of them are in the back half. But he is in, I guess, the equivalent of the Carson Cave. Yeah. With the constable, and the constable is getting very like ominous, and he's being like, oh well, you know, we're not investigating any of the disturbance because none of you have a criminal record. I'm like, people could just start a criminal record <laughs> right. any time. But then he says, except for you. It turns out our man Jennings was a conscientious objector in the war, which if you recall the scene in Downton Abbey where those women came in and handed um, the, the white feather white feather yeah. to, to William and, and the other men who weren't in uniform. Yeah, it was not cool. It was super not cool. Yeah. And I mean – the scope of how many families were affected in World War One was huge. I mean, they they talk about it in this movie. Yeah, and I mean, even you know the fact that Michael Gambon like didn't fight right. is a source of shame for him mm-hmm. um, and his family. Yeah, and so basically, the constable is like, "Hey, fuck you." And the constable's been a pretty like happy-go-lucky guy. Mm-hmm. I mean. He's hapless only in the sense that he can't assert himself to Stephen Fry and be like, why are you refusing to conduct this investigation? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, But he just, like, lays it down Mm -hmm. on Mr. Jennings. Yeah. And that's the other thing that happens the previous, you know, that night, he just gets shit-faced. Yeah. He gets completely drunk because, you know, I think he's afraid people are going to find out. And, I mean... It would just be a really hard thing to do. Yeah. Because even if you still believed in your moral correctness you still have to explain to everyone or you know if anybody finds out because he seems like he's been able to keep it under wraps right like despite the fact that he did time like he did go to prison for being a conscientious objector yeah um which you almost wonder how he got that job i know well it may have something to do with the fact that michael gambin just is not aristocratic right right so i mean and it's not like sir william you know maybe he appreciated a fellow operator <laughs> yeah um, like the only family that he shamed was his shameful yeah. non-aristocracy yeah. family <laughs> um so yeah i don't know but it's a great scene and and then he gets drunk which i don't blame him for <laughs> yeah you're here um <laughs> let's all drink to not going to war <laughs> yeah i think we can all we can all agree mm-hmm. so then we get mary 
helping Maggie Smith, you know, do her morning routine, put her cucumber slices on her eyes, which is another gifable moment. Mm, that was yeah. the previous day. But uh, Kristen Scott Thomas comes in, and, and Maggie Smith is uh, putting together tips for all the servants, which mm-hmm. is fascinating because it's a private home. Right. And, you know, my understanding would be that their salaries ought to be enough that that's not necessary, but... but I know that... I mean, I know that that was a thing. Mm-hmm. I've, you know, I've seen it referenced other places that I can't think of offhand, but it, it was not a surprise... It wasn't a shock yeah. to me that that was a thing that goes on. So maybe we will look into that as well yeah. uh, for future... Possibly in a book written by Stephen Fry called The Hippopotamus. That makes but, perfect sense. Yeah. Perfect sense, old chap. <laughs> so they're just talking about sort of, you know, what's going to happen now that William's dead. And Kristen Scott Thomas is talking about possibly shaking things up downstairs and finally getting rid of the, what does she call her? The, the wretched old Mrs. Croft. Yeah. Which we think she's just mad because Mrs. Croft is the only person in this movie more unpleasant than Kristen Scott Thomas. <laughs> she really, she, she really, wants to be the HBIC. She does. Yeah. <laughs> So Maggie Smith wants to know why Mrs. Croft and Mrs. Wilson are such big enemies. And Kristen Scott Thomas exposits that they are sisters, in fact. Mm-hmm. And before Mrs. Wilson became a uh, housekeeper, she was called something different. She was called Mrs. Parks. Or Parkins. Or Parkins. Uh, you know, she doesn't know. Something right. of but sort. Kelly, McDon- uh, Kelly McDonald, with her keen powers of observation. Yeah, a little light bulb mm-hmm. goes off up there. And- um. It's like on Blue's Clues when they find a clue. Um, <laughs> it's painfully obvious. Yes. <laughs> Even for a three-year-old. <laughs> um, so she has now put everything together and realized that Mrs. Wilson is Clive Owen's mother. And, you know, basically... And I don't think... Because Kelly McDonald doesn't know the story about the factory. I don't think she was present for that conversation. That was just the kitchen staff. Mm-hmm. So she trundles downstairs to go see Mrs. Wilson, who's rotating the linens. She left it up to the maids. They'd use the same 20 sheets until they felt the tatters. And it's true, because I feel like in terms of my status in life, like I'm on par with a maid, and that is exactly <laughs> what I do. Yeah. Um, although we don't have 20 sheets. Oh, right. <laughs> Let's not. We don't own that much of almost anything. Um, Only beers. Yeah. <laughs> Zing. Not for long. <laughs> <laughs> Just wait until this podcast is over. Um, it's five o'clock. Somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> it, at Gosford Park, in fact. Yeah. Um, so Wasting away again at Gosford Park. <laughs> <laughs> Looking for my lost silver knife. <laughs> Some people claim that there's Clive a footman o- to blame. <laughs> and say, I know. I was going to say Clive Owen's to blame, but I know it's Helen Mirren's fault. <laughs> <laughs> Which actually is a good summation of this scene. Yes. yes. It's not just a clever song. <laughs> uh, because Kelly McDonald comes in and she's like, hey. And Helen Mirren's like, what? And she's like, why did you do it? <laughs> Which is pretty great. Yeah. Uh, pretty much when Kelly McDonald says anything, it <laughs> sounds, I mean, I, I just, I want like, you know, those like soothing sound CDs. <laughs> I want one of just Kelly McDonald saying words. <laughs> she could even be reading the script from just some horrible the TV phone book. show. Yeah. Or she exactly. could be reading a list of Scottish place names. <gasps> oh. oh my God. <laughs> Kelly McDonald. <laughs> we have a job for you. We have a job for you. Uh, you we have, have 
a business opportunity for you. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> now that you have some voice experience with Brave, Coney Theater is June 22nd. Uh, yeah. All right. So anyway, she'll definitely do that with us. Right. Um, she wants to know why Helen Mirren poisoned Sir William, how she could have known. P.S. You're his mom. Like, <laughs> Kelly McDonald's tiny Scottish head is exploding <laughs> because she has gained a lifetime of knowledge in just three days. She went from filling up Maggie Smith's thermos to <laughs> witnessing to, a murder. To solving the murder. Yeah. To, yeah. You know, attempted rape, solving the murder. Yeah. I mean, she's, she's like the Scottish Nancy here. Drew, really. Yeah. <laughs> so basically, Helen Mirren says that, oh, and she's just so Helen Mirren-y. Yeah. Like, I I hope she got nominated for this. I think she did. Despite the fact that she does not even fall on a Maggie Smith scale. Like, just Helen Mirren's a whole different thing. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. Helen Mirren is... She's something. Yeah. So she's just saying, like, no. She, you know, it's it's it was her Oscar speech, I'm sure. Right, right. But it's like, I'm the perfect servant. The thing that sets the servant apart is the gift of anticipation. When they're tired, I turn the beds down. When they're hungry, I make sure the food is ready. And she's like Mrs. Hughes on crack. Yeah. Like... Mrs. Hughes still has, like, a heart. And this woman is clearly a bloodless yeah, she is automaton. Inside. Right. And, you know, she just, you know, and she then well, explains the situation where Mrs. Croft kept her baby. She gave hers up. And they, they all clung to the dream that they were being adopted by decent, like, middle-class type families. Yeah, it's basically, like, basically what Michael Gambon was telling them is what, you tell your kid when their dog dies, mm-hmm. except about babies. Yeah. So think about that, America. Yeah. And, you know, she just, you know, she was able to anticipate that her son had come back to kill his father. And she did it for him. And she says, you know, all that matters is his life. She was like, they can't touch him. That's all that matters. And Kelly uh, McDonald asks, what about your life? <laughs> And Do you really want to know, Kelly? <laughs> <laughs> she doesn't. But, you know, I don't know, though. I think she feels like she has to ask, even though she already knows the answer. She's the yeah. only person who's figured it out, so she may as well know yeah. everything. And, <laughs> and, you know, and Helen Mirren then is like, no, you really shouldn't have asked me that question because I'm the perfect servant. I have no life. Oh, I'm just going to, like, get that tattooed on my I'm the perfect servant. Face. I have no life. <laughs> I'm not sure that I recommend that course yeah, of Yeah, especially since I'm not actually a servant. Right. I feel like there would be a lot of it explaining. It could be kind of a kink thing if you put it somewhere else. Anyways. <laughs> it's got a point. Moving right along. <laughs> so outside, everyone's loading up. Emily Watson is finally getting to leave. <laughs> right. To go off and seek her slutty, slutty fortune. And with the Brussels griffin. With, she steals the and dog. And you know, it makes sense because people who seek fortunes often have Brussels griffins. That's a good point. Much like Dorothy mm-hmm. and Toto. Mm-hmm. And, and they got their dreams. Did they? Uh, they got to go back to Kansas. Well, they didn't end up getting attempted raped in Gosford Park. So yeah, I, you that's know, you true. Know, they're better off that, you than know, some folks. Well, depending on some readings, I read this book once <laughs> called Was. And it's it's all about the Wizard of Oz and Judy Garland. And there is a surprising amount of rape in that book. So I would just like to tell you not to read it, America. Okay. <laughs> done and done. Don't do it. You're going to be like, oh, this is, it is not cute. This is not fun. Oh, my God. I need, I need to talk to someone. Anyway, 
so they're outside just kind of conversing and talking about what Emily Watson's going to do. And then Bob Balaban is like, hey, Emily Watson, you want to ride? And she's totally standing there looking exactly like a 30s movie star. Yeah. Like, and we know she like reads the movie magazines. Mm-hmm. She's Ethel... She's if Ethel used contraception, basically. <laughs> yeah. Um, or Jane if she wasn't so ugly and weird. Yeah. So she's like, oh, okay. And she does, unfortunately, have to share the back seat with the very handsy Ryan Phillippe. But, you know. Hey, she's, and that's another story as they ride off into the sunset. She repeatedly demonstrated an ability to fend off his hands. Yeah. So. And, you know, she started this movie, you know, being a... Uh, being, Sir William's main squeeze, and now she's sharing a and, car you know, with she- Ivor Novello and Bob Balaban. Yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> it's not a bad setup there. In like and, three days, and, everybody's lives have changed drastically. And now she owns a dog. Yeah, like, it's true. <laughs> she's awesome. Yeah. So no, and just you can see when Bob Balaban asked her, she and Kelly McDonald are so excited, like they yeah. keep a lid on it, but they're like, "Oh my god!" Yeah, it's really cool. Well, this, I mean, yeah, it's. In every, uh, you know, all those things that she cut out the pictures from, every story is like, That's you know, true. so-and-so was standing on a street corner and, you know... When Sussex! It, right. <laughs> in Piccadilly. <laughs> Not Piccadilly. That's where people get murdered. And robbed. Burgled. When, when famous producer Reginald T. Moneybags pulled up and said, you, you're my next star. Get in the car, kid. <laughs> um... So, yeah, so things are going to work out all right for Emily Watson. I yeah. think we can all agree Robert Altman leaves no. He brokers no. Uh, she's even got a dog. Yeah, she's clearly on her way out. She's so cute. She doesn't even have to fake the British accent. She's going to be a big success in America. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. true. <laughs> and so then, um, Clive Owen, do Clive Owen and Kelly McDonald get like a... They have a little bit of a moment. Just I, I feel like it's just something along the lines of, so, I guess I'll see you around, eh? And yeah. Like, and right. they're totally going to see each other around because, again, and I didn't feel this way when I very first saw this movie, but I think that's also pretty unambiguous that they are going to hook up mm. because she works for his employer's sister-in-law. Right. So they're they're going to be running into each other. And, you know, it's the least the writers can do is to give her a respectable lay after all they've put. <laughs> <laughs> true, true. Yeah. Even if it's an off-screen one. No, and that's and what I, makes this movie a comedy. Do you guys think she'll <laughs> tell him? About his mom? I think... I think she'll probably wait until his mother's dead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah I, mean, that's I don't think she wants to my... cross Helen Mirren ever. <laughs> well, <laughs> Again. She killed a guy. Right. I mean, A, not cross her, and B, just that was... That's Helen Mirren's secret. She's decided that it's a secret, and that's... I wonder if she, Helen Mirren's character, noticed what was going on between... Kelly McDonald and Clive Owen hmm. and decided to tell her, you know, if that was a factor in her decision making. It's hmm. an interesting question, yeah. And I just want to say again, love the fact that those two that that Parks and Mrs. Wilson are in the background yeah. in that scene yeah. where you find out about the orphanage and well, everything. Just, yeah. <gasps> Anybody out there that is listening to this podcast and has watched this movie once, watch it again. Watch it all the times. Yeah. I mean, I kind of, I kind of, after we get done with this, I kind of want to just leave it on like all day <laughs> on a loop. Yeah. And, and see what we've missed. Watch it on your iPhone in a meeting at work. <laughs> <laughs> this is Sam Roth teaching you how to be unproductive. <laughs> um, so then back back inside, um, Dorothy is Dorothying it up. Right. Talking to uh, Mrs. Wilson. Talking, you said. I would say sniveling. And I feel like Dorothy, 
Dorothy's talking about Mr. Jennings and how, oh, it couldn't have been him that did it and still didn't... He, you still care, Dorothy? He <laughs> shut a door in your face. Like, this isn't... Yeah. Stop it. Just stop it, Dorothy. But she don't... She's not... Yeah. She can't stop, won't stop. <laughs> and so Mrs. Wilson just goes into her room and shuts the door and just starts wailing like legit ass sack and ash cloth style tooth gnashing wailing yeah. which is really powerful considering her performance this entire no, movie no it yeah. is so effective because if almost anybody else was doing it it would seem so cliche mm-hmm. it would seem so cliche and it, but it's like the thing that sets her off is this stupid marble mouthed idiot and she yeah. doesn't even show you know a, a hint of dramatic no. sadness in her eyes no and, it's no, not even and like they even when she's going in her room it's not like this. I need to go to my room because I'm going to cry right here it's I need to go to my room so I can I was cry. actually yeah. not expecting that mm-hmm. at no, all no it's oh my god and, and, but because of that it made it seem it almost made it seem more natural <gasps> that it just came upon her all of a sudden you and know? then yeah. fucking mrs croft goes in and cold as ice not without compassion right but cold as ice just says don't cry jane they'll hear you and the look on helen mirren's face she's so disappointed in herself mm-hmm. it's the way she they layer this relationship mm-hmm. and the reveal of the relationship is one of the most masterful things i've ever seen yeah and I don't know if the credit for that goes to Robert Altman or to Julian Fellows, but like, well done. Yeah. Because it all just, and again, it's the kind of thing where like, I think if this movie had been made in America, two things would be different. Number one, Winona Ryder would be the protagonist. Because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, the American guys are like, who, our, as an who, who cares American about all movie. these unsexy old British people? Oh, like, right. what? This isn't going to sell, you know, 60-ounce cups at Burger King. a short brunette with a bad attitude. Because <laughs> <laughs> she don't give a damn about a bad reputation. <laughs> Except she does. Why? And then the other thing is that nothing would have been handled the way it's been handled. Although Robert Altman is American, right? Or is he English-born? Yeah, he, no, he's American. Okay. Yeah. Or just, you know, if it was made like a traditional... Right. But it was, it's clearly a British production. Right. You know? I mean, it's... Yeah, it's, and it's, you know, it's Robert Altman. You know, it's yeah. not... He's, yeah. he's a man without a country. <laughs> yeah. He's from Altmania. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, it wouldn't have been allowed to unfold this way. Yeah. You know, and so much of the stuff that happens off screen wouldn't have happened off screen. And... Oh, it's so great because then, you know, just Helen Mirren, you know, she, she gets it together, but she's still crying. She's like, you know, he'll never know me. Yeah. She's like, he'll never know me. And I think implied is he'll never know what I did yeah. to save him. Well, because up until this point, she's sort of known that her son is out there and could imagine that at some point in some imaginary circumstance, they could have a relationship, but now they never can. Yeah. She, and with by her own actions has ended that possibility and then forever. and then her sister who has the moral high ground in every way with regards to their their mm-hmm. children that were the product of this sexual abuse they mm-hmm. both suffered she says at least he's alive yeah you know he's out there living his life and it's just it is so powerful yeah. and it's just so upsetting and and that's sort of how, how we leave those two is just you know Mrs. Croft is like holding her sister mm-hmm. and comforting her after this hellish weekend she's had. Because you almost don't even see Mrs. Wilson in this movie. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. she doesn't become anything other than like the drill sergeant until right. that scene with uh, Kelly McDonald. Yeah, yeah, 
Yeah, no, that's that's pretty much it. There's, that's it. There's yeah. some and shots of everybody credits. driving away. Oh, because Kristen Scott Thomas is uh, <laughs> waving everybody off with her middle finger. <laughs> <laughs> the one gun salute. No, and I mean, I guess there's a couple threads we didn't tie up. Uh, the blonde guy is not going to propose to Winona Ryder because she won't inherit her fortune until after her mother dies. Right. I mean, and he things- has that conversation with the other guy while they're walking down the stairway that she is, as is her custom, lurking on her. <laughs> She's like, oh, maybe someone else will blackmail me if I stand near this plant. (laughs) (laughs) But she, you know, she overhears them discussing that and is very bummed. Yeah. Uh, And, I mean, we really see this is the end game of the the agricultural decline that is a big deal in in Downton Abbey and, you know, solicited the marriage of Lord Grantham to McGee and, you know, essentially the the marriage of Mary to Sir, you know, the engagement of Mary to Sir Richard. Just... These people need cash. Yeah. They they should probably do cash for gold or something. <laughs> um, and then um, we also heard in this scene where, where Kelly McDonald picks up on, on Helen Mirren being Clive Owen's mom. Kristen Scott Thomas is like, yeah, I'm probably going to get rid of this house. Nobody wants the bother of the country estate anymore. So this is when, you know, the class system is really and truly dead at mm-hmm. this point. This is the point where everyone who's still invested in it later shows up on the Secrets of Manor House show on PBS and you're terrified of their faces. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, Kristen Scott Thomas has a, a huge opportunity at this point. Yeah. Um, and she's she's going to take it. Yeah. And her horse is coming with her. <laughs> Presumably, yes. Yeah, so that's Gosford Park, everybody. Yeah. It's a great movie. It is. We're, Again, I can't imagine why you would listen to this if you hadn't watched it. Right. But if you haven't watched it, really do yourself a favor. It, it, and as we said, watch it, has it again. Our watch it many times. Yeah. Just dinner, literally. Get a, no, get, a, get a jar of jam and yeah. sit down. <laughs> Go to town. And Turn out the lights. Mm-hmm. Get a nice bottle or pull box up your, of wine. Pull up and... your patented up yours downstairs Clive Owen body pillow and uh, just, you know, have a good night. I know what I'm doing this weekend. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. <laughs> So yeah, anybody else have anything that they want to say about it? Um, I mean, I know we're all anxious to start drinking. <laughs> <laughs> That's always true. <laughs> but you only have single malts. Yeah, I do. <laughs> right. Yeah, we don't we don't fuck with bourbon in this house. <laughs> this is true. Um <laughs> Yeah, I uh, I think that's about it. I think uh, you know, well done, Maggie Smith. Yeah, as as the the link. There. I give Gosford Park in general five Maggie Smiths. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's Agreed. the Maggie Smithiest. I feel like she and Robert Altman would like go out and like get wasted <laughs> and like sing karaoke. <laughs> She'd be like, and I'm here to remind you of the weekend you left when you went. Anyway, <laughs> Maggie Smith doing karaoke. That's uh, enjoyable. That was great. Uh, yeah, but it was a great movie. And just thank you to Sam Roth for Absolutely. doing this marathon recording session. Thank you for having me. If you, you if you haven't checked it out, he has a great blog. It's on Blogspot. It's it called, is Blogspot. It's yeah, Rigged Up. It's called, yeah, it is Rigged Up. That's the name of the blog. It's Rigged Up. It's all about uh, low-cost solutions for modern life. There's a tie-in in everything. There is a tie-in There's in a everything. There's a tie-in. Anything that you can throw together, and really. it's delightful. It never fails to just make me laugh. Well, thank you. It really is funny. I have fun writing it. I'm glad you do. I, and it comes through. It absolutely comes through. So definitely check that out. And until next time, up, up yours, yours downstairs. downstairs.
Thank mm-hmm. you.